My name is Christopher Rustic, and I'm an armchair paranormal researcher, and you're listening to the Just Conversation podcast. Warning. This program contains strong themes meant for a mature audience. Discretion is advised. Going live in 5, 4. What does live mean? Uh-huh. Welcome to Just Conversation, the show where we ground humanity's most absurd and baffling ideas in childish ways. I'm your host, Jack. And I'm your host, Christina. And if you haven't yet, remember to hit that subscribe button to get notified the second new episodes are released. Also, this show is most enjoyable with a listening partner to share opinions and ideas on topics we discuss. Yes, so be sure to pull somebody nice and close and be ready to go on an adventure! A ghost adventure. A ghostly adventure. Or not. But today, what we have for you guys is a guy who does indulge in ghostly adventures. Today's guest is Chris Rustic of the Obscure Anomalies podcast, a fantastic, creepy little show where this guy, fantastic as he is, dives into some of the weirder, more obscure anomalies. Yes, he mentioned one in the end, and I really, I'm really excited to hear about more. I'm really excited to hear about it. It's something about ghost cows, I think. Yeah. I, I have to hear that ghost cows that's gonna be awesome yeah very strange this super weird topics so yes this conversation is particularly interesting i wanted to pick the mind of a person who commonly dives into the paranormal to see where it goes where it takes us as usual you know know where we expect to go he's so normal he's a normal dude yeah yeah that's the craziest thing. The people into the weirdest things are the most normal of people. And then the people into the most normal things are the craziest people. That's why I like the weirdos. Because the weirdos are always chill. Like, this guy is into the weirdest things. But What's the weirdos? Is that another podcast? No. That's... Oh, you're just talking about weirdos. Yes, okay. I'm just talking about weirdos. Oh. That's why I'm into just weirdos as oh, a thing, okay. as an idea, as a concept. <laughs> Because weirdos are the people who like openly strange things, but they are just people. It's the people who allegedly are normal, who are way fucked and bad and malicious, and they cover it up with normality. I a million times will sooner speak to Chris Rustic over normal things than speak crazy things with somebody who thinks they're normal or tries to portray themselves as normal. I'm not into that because they're usually doing that for a reason. There's a, it's a mask. Nobody's really normal. Yeah. Everybody's into weird shit. The fact that you're pretending you're not, I don't like that. But Chris Rustic is not like that. He's openly into the paranormal, into weird. And uh, I find that completely fascinating. This conversation definitely goes into some weird places and it gets heavily philosophical at times. But I guess... I guess that's just the theme of this show. We bring in a guest, we have a casual discussion, and then eventually it escalates into some extremely heady fabric of reality metaphysics philosophy. Yes, you can never you can never predict it. You can never really Yeah, yeah. It's too random. Yes. But it is what it is. 
Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with this fantastic guest, Chris Rustic. You can find him at all the good places. Be sure to do that. Anywhere you get podcasts and his Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those places. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi! Hi. Started season three of Obscure Anomalies uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Pretty, um, yeah, I think it was September 30th we just started back up. So that's been keeping me busy. And uh, have has your show taken a impact because of the current circumstances by any means, or has it? Because I feel like podcasting is one of the only things that has managed to continue almost unscathed by this disaster. Well, in the beginning of this, uh, I just started season two, and that took a weird hit where life just got too hectic for me to keep up with it. So I was down and out for a little bit. But listenership seems to be going good still. I, I really haven't noticed too much of an impact there, but I've heard many people are saying because there's no commutes that they're really just not getting the listeners that they used to. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because you, you'd think being stuck at home, not having anything to do would jack up the amount of podcast listening that is happening. But it actually turned out to be the opposite of that. I know, because I, I actually get less interruptions while I'm working now, so I feel like I can listen straight through, but I feel like I'm listening so much less. Yeah, it's an, it's a bit intense. It, it really comes down to the fact that everybody was listening during um, during their commute, which is weird that everybody was listening during their commute. There was such a drop in listenership to so many shows, so many of even the really huge names that you think got super fans, like the Rogans of the world, still take a dip during this, because... Really, really, people are just listening during the their commute, and that's what a unique medium that that's the only time it really exists for a giant group of people. I was gonna say because that that whole philosophy is weird to me because commutes are usually where I'm jamming to music. I have the windows down, blasting, singing along. So like, I, I've never really was one to listen to podcasts while driving. It, for me, it was always during work or while while working out. You see that that makes sense to me, but I guess I I'm, I mix it up. I do a little bit of everything, you know, I'll put a little NPR, let that roll for, for some, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, get bored to that, jump into music pretty regularly, run through albums all the time, jump into podcasts and rip entire episodes during commutes. So I guess I shake it up pretty evenly. Well, I did fall behind recently because Deftones just released their new album and I've been listening to that nonstop. Now, isn't that amazing when there is new music that you are just obsessing over? There's some... Something that it triggers that's just hearing it over and over and catching nuances in the music. Every time you hear it, you see something different in it, you know? Oh, exactly. And I mean, it's the first time that I've actually been excited for a release in a long time. And because I feel like in today's day and world where everything is at your fingertips, it, it I don't have that connection to new music anymore. So to be excited about something and have that connection again just felt amazing. See, I, I more or less agree with that. There is a lot of disconnect when it comes to things, to music, to even uh, films. So many films are boring. I remember being a kid and just everything was exciting. Every new band was exciting. Every new album was exciting. Every new music uh, movie, every new film was exciting. And as time went by, it's just sort of toned down. But I've realized it's more about taste changing and evolving because, for example, if we think of... Like Jack White's most recent album, right? I don't know if you know about Jack White, but Jack White's most recent album. Uh, when that came out, I was astounded. I was like two, three years ago, completely blown away by that. And I obsessed on it, heard it on 
loop back to back to back to back over and over and over. But this happens to me when I listen to the people who don't sound like everybody else. I think that's really the problem, that so many musicians sound identical to one another. Yeah, you know, that that is true. And I think that's why I got really turned off to the radio. I, I like making my own playlist. I like bouncing around because my tastes vary so much, like from the metal to the punk rock to the ska to dubstep to rap to I, I listen to like a little bit of everything. And I don't get that with the radio station itself. So I like that variety. Yes, I definitely agree. And I would say that I, I've I stumbled onto this idea, right? That there is a norm normality. There's an average. There's an average sound that a lot of people aim towards. So if you look at punk rock, there's a lot of punk rock bands that sound exactly the same. They have the same flow, the same riffs, the their instruments kind of almost blend together and you can't really tell them apart too much. There's no uniqueness. You could put a different band that sounds identical to them. And then there's the, the ones that really, really stand out and their instrumentation is very strange and how they approach it is very strange. I think of, for example, AFI. They mm. were just regular punk at the beginning, but as they kept moving forward, it got kind of metally and then it kind of industrial and they just kept mixing it up to the point that they still feel punk and they still feel like metal and industrial and this clusterfuck of thing that's, that's happening. So I never lost my interest in their music because they had such a unique sound versus all the bands that seem to sound the same. And it's, the same thing happens for rappers. There's so many rappers that sound the same. But then there's the very specific little Waynes and M&Ms and Andre 3000s that always have this unique kind of sound, including Run the Jewels. Those two guys have been making music that stands out from all the other garbage that's out now. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've always felt like there's this weird theory that I have where, how do I want to put it? People get mad when their favorite bands change, but they also get mad when their favorite bands sound the same year after year. Yeah. Like, so I love the bands that will take that, you know, and just say, whatever, fuck it, and just do whatever they want to do anyways. I, I, that's when you get the best albums. And I think that's how those bands stand the test of time. A hundred percent. Yeah, you say that, and the first thing that comes to mind is Radiohead and Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys, every single album have opted into a different sound. Their latest album was a space lounge. The previous album was just hard rock. The previous album was a ballad-based rock. The previous album, indie. And they have like this whole, every album is different. Their flow is different. They, their tone is different. And even in the newest album, it's just, they're in, the, the, the lead singer wrote characters into there. Alex Turner, he wrote characters into the songs so that he's portraying these different individuals. He's not even talking about him. He's just making social commentary. And Radiohead did the same thing. They put out their first albums and then come out with this weird uh, anomalous thing, Kid A, that was just so strange. And they themselves got scared of sounding infinitely similar to all the other stuff. We just make pop music. We just make pop music. And they did that for two albums, and then people wanted more pop music. But you're going to get bored if you keep hearing the same crap. So they shook it up and gave us Kid A. And then we, from that point forward, got the weirdest sounding band that has ever existed. And they're also one of the best. I remember when uh, OK Computer came out, too. And then um, I actually haven't listened to them in so long. I'm looking at their list now. I'm like, oh, man, the last one I remember was Kid A. Yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy, right? These guys put a lot of music out. I'm going to have to check them out later after this. <laughs> yes, I know I what I'm doing tonight. I highly, highly recommend. I actually don't see it on the list here. Oh, yeah, I do. It's Moon Shaped Pool. That is amazing. That album is so good. Highly recommend that. 
Oh, okay. That, then that's probably where I'm going to be starting and then work my way back. Yes, it's a, an incredibly abstract album. There's very little rock sounds in there. It's almost like... I mean, they're art rock, essentially. They're very experimental. Everything well, sounds. That's, those those are the type of things I like. I like um I like the bands that can tell a story that through either just their instruments or through their words, through their music, through their albums, and that's probably why I also had a big attention to like Coheed and Cambria because you got this whole story of Coheed and Cambria through the Amori Wars, and now they're going through their son with their newest album. That's fascinating. I've never once heard a single song from that band, although I've heard their names tossed around all the time. Yeah, they um the the lead singer writes a comic, and so especially later on, before it was just like they threw in a couple songs here and there that tied into the comic, but then uh with the last couple albums, the whole album was pretty much just a story, like a continuation in between like episodes and they even have like a side band that is also part of that universe. Wow, that's a yeah. He went full out on this. That's super awesome. See, that's amazing. I definitely got to check them out. I did not know that was a thing. Yeah, he he created a whole universe, and everyone thought the band was going to end at the end of um, their second to last album, and then they're like, "No, we're going to continue. It's just no longer going to be about Coheed and Cambria." Interesting. So they just keep that. Now the band is about the comic. Pretty much, yeah. That's so amazing. So the, everything's in character? Yeah. So especially, why can't I think of the name of the last album? I was going to say Good Apollo and Burning Star, but that's not their last one. Um, wow, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the Unheavenly Creatures is pretty much what they cut it down to. And it this album is basically the story of Coed and Cambria's son and these gang, this gang called the Unheavenly Creatures. Unheavenly Creatures. And these are some demons of some sort. No, it's they're actually just people. I mean, it does take place in kind of like a galaxy far off, kind of like in a Star Wars way, but without all that random lightsaber and all that other stuff. It's a little more, if you ask me, down to earth, except there is that one song where he basically talks about somebody coming back as a 10 speed bicycle and killing people. That what? Was, yeah. Uh, 10 speed and God's blood and burial is about a 10 speed bike. Oh, shit. I remember this guy. I heard this band before. Wow, yeah, that was he very has long a ago. very, very interesting voice. Yeah, he's a very high pitch, unique sound. Something you would not expect from him at all. And I think that's the other reason why they stuck out to me early on. Wow, that's exactly why I hated this band. <laughs> See, different taste, man. Everyone's got that different... Whoa, I totally forgot about this band. This dude with his crazy hair. His hair is mm-hmm. epic. Speaking of its crazy hair, right before that last album came out, he pranked the whole internet and made it look like he cut it all off. How the hell did he do that? He had it tied back in a really tight ponytail and wore a hat. Oh, wow. And then he unleashed it when they first started touring again with this new album. So that was a pretty epic moment. I mean, the things people get scared of is completely random and and it really is. It's because it's like, oh, his hair is going to change the whole band completely. Yeah, like it's so they're sort of treating him like he's Samson at this point. Pretty much. Lose your hair, we lose the music. It's like Slash losing the hat. You can't do that. That'd be crazy. Sting losing his mask, his uh, face paint. What? That's uh, I mean, the the things associated with uh that we associate with music. I was actually having this conversation recently, literally today, about associating an idea with uh the medium and how that affects 
your reception of it. It was actually about this show's um, the the logo that shows up on the uh, all platforms or whatever. Whether we continue changing it or do we settle on the one we have right now? Because the idea is, listeners sometimes do literally get affected by something as simple as an image that changes their understanding of something. And so familiarity is incredibly important. I mean, it's true. We have we have that connection with things. We we kind of want things to say the stay the same, which goes back to the point where we want our bands to not change their sound, but then we get mad when they do. We we, we want that familiarity. We want that comfort. We we look for that. But it's just so weird to me that an image like of a person would completely change how someone would feel about a band, or really music itself when you're really not usually looking at this person except when you see them live isn't that interesting what the hell is wrong with us we (laughs) but see that that happens with the whole um art censorship thing we don't like it so it can't be that's all it is we don't like it we don't agree so this needs to stop and we have such emotional attachments to our art or not even our art somebody else's art the art we like we have such an intense attachment that we truly go into a a chaotic angry rage-filled frenzy when changes are made but then we get bored when they don't happen i would argue that's the problem that goes on with eminem where he gets really deep and then they say he's always bitching we want crazy old em and then he starts doing crazy old, I'm a murder and do this and that. And then they're like, man, you're not saying we anything heard of meaning. Before. Yeah, you're not saying anything meaningful. Give us some depth. And it's like, what the fuck? You can't win in either direction. Well, that's, that's what I think the great thing about Eminem was each song was done by a, a different alter ego, if you will. He, he had Slim Shady. He had Eminem. He even came out a couple times as Marshall Mathers. It, it just He had alter egos he rapped as throughout his years. Yeah, to continuously shift things. I actually noted a pattern of that that is, it usually takes turns. So it'll be like one album is predominantly Eminem, usually uh, fun commenting on um, politics and things of that nature with a couple of the other characters in there. Then one album is really deep and profound and personal. That's usually when he's showing up as uh, Marshall Mathers. Those are the real problems in his life, his daughter, his uh, ex-wife, talking about his father and his relationship to fame. And then he has the albums that he's almost just flexing skill and speaking about the most psychotic things imaginable, which is when he comes out of Slim Shady and he has the greatest wordplay, but it's all about murder and all about rape and all this crazy shit. But I think that's the way to do it. So that way you can get every part of you out there without feeling like you have to stop yourself because, oh, I wouldn't say this, but hey, Slim Shady would, so let's go. This nice and safe, isn't it? It's a very unique uh, approach to it. He 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 gets an out, essentially. Uh, man, I was actually just listening to him, too. I was going back through your, um, through, like, your older episodes, and I remember coming along the uh, – mgk versus um eminem and i could definitely tell like his albums he's getting eminem's getting bored he wants someone to come attack him i think he wants someone to try to take that throne hard yes i totally agree and it's not just a matter of opinion like he says it in many songs he legitimately says he is bored and he wants somebody to approach him but who wants to be taken down like that you know well machine gun kelly did apparently and then went to uh, punk rock yeah yeah he got destroyed so hard he stopped rapping that <laughs> is he got stand by um pretty much eminem's like i'm too busy to answer you i'm sorry i forgot to answer you 
Yeah, and he said I wrote uh, I put the autograph for your daughter. <laughs> I wrote it on uh, the I was like, cap. That was so clever. Like I was like, oh, why hasn't Eminem attacked back? And then when that came out, I was like, that's why he was like, you're nothing to me. Like I, I just kind of forgot. Yeah, it's freaking amazing, isn't it? It's important. He's. I will say that Eminem is a lot like the uh, Shakespeare of current time. His wordplay, his uh, twisting and bending with rhymes. He is the greatest writer currently alive, and there's a lot of arguments to be made for that. Uh, think of when he randomly writes something that is. He's always claiming to be either the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, which uh, a sign to Stan, to uh, Marshall Mathers, Eminem, and Slim Shady. I don't know if you ever took note of that. And then random songs, he'll drop that, but he never directly says being God. And this happens at all times. For example, way in his first album, he was talking about being infinite before he even brought rap God. We're talking six albums apart. He claimed mm -hmm. to be rap God between the point that he said he was infinite. And he always had this sort of holy, uh, godlike, uh, biblical writing in his writing and his work that he's somehow snuck in always without us noticing. But then you hear Rap God, and then you notice, okay, he's going to start playing this character. That's cool. Rap God's a new character. Then we go back and listen to all his work and realize it was always in there. It was always him, and, and each part of him was a part of that Rap God. Yep. Again, like God and Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit, the they're all one person, but they're all different parts of him. It's just, it's genius how he's built this world around these characters and him, and it's really still just him in the end yes it's the craziest part it's the craziest part like he'll reference himself as if he's somebody else like he said uh somebody once told me to ca to capture the moment and not squander it and you told you the one who said that that was your freaking song but he's talking from a different point of view where which if some guy on the street told you that you'd think he was crazy yeah Eminem does it and now he's you know one of the best rappers out there yeah yeah he's definitely um he's I don't know, man. He's pretty amazing. Actually, Eminem music is the perfect music for the season. If you look at his older stuff where he's just, I never thought about this, but for like Halloween, he's um, more, uh, aiming more towards a slim, shady type of characters where he's out there committing murders and massacre, like 3 a.m. from Relapse. Oh, I, I loved Relapse. I don't understand why that got a lot of, a lot of hate from what I was seeing, but I love that album. Yeah, I love that album too. Uh, compared to the rest of them, like he has way better albums, but that doesn't mean this is bad. No, but that oh, here's God. here's the issue. That is really the problem. What I just said right there, that's the issue. People will continue to compare the album to other albums rather than is this is it on its own good? Yes, it's amazing on its own. But you compare I, it to his other work and you're like, this is the worst of his work. Yeah, but what does that mean? Still selling still the best triple of the best. platinum? Like what are you talking about? Such a great, great, great album and very unexpected too. And, and let's talk about Eminem too. How how many albums has he just dropped out of nowhere and still sold, outsold like everybody? 100%. No, Even... no lead up to it, no nothing, no, no post on social media. He just drops it and there we go. Yep, yep, yep. He, he's not even playing around anymore. He did that two times, didn't he? He did that with the, Yeah, uh, I think Revival and Kamikaze. No, Music to be Murdered by and Kamikaze. Yeah, Music to be Murdered by and Kamikaze. Both of those just came out of the blue. <sighs> and keep in mind that both of those albums come after he draws the imaginary line in the sand to divide himself between the Trump followers, which then you you lose so many fans because of a statement like that and still outsell everybody. See that that's how you know he's not playing. He he's he's ready to go. He's waiting. I think I would even be shocked if next year we see something else again.
I would not. I would not be shocked. It, it would be amazing. Uh, he's yeah. Revival twenty seventeen, Kamikaze twenty nineteen, Music to Be Murdered by twenty twenty. It would make sense. He's he's been pretty consistent with releasing music almost every year. Yeah, and he's been bored, which is a whole other thing. the The real break he took was between the Marshall Mathers LP two and getting to a revival. That's really where where the gap came in. Oh man. I really do hope because I just remember at the beginning of when COVID hit and we're all kind of like sad, depressed in our home, not sure what's going on, scared, just to be shocked with a new album. This this really has been the year for music, if you ask me. There, there's just been so many good releases coming out this year and there's still more to come. Uh, like I said, you got Deftones Ohms, you got um, Hate Breeds coming out with the new album this year. Uh, the Dead Milkmen have come out of retirement and released a single. It's it's just crazy. It, I guess it only took a pandemic to get people to back out. See, man, it's aggravating. <laughs> it sucks, dude. This is so shitty. Just to be aware that everything is... Because I'm almost frustrated that there isn't more art as a result of this happening. Why is Eminem and Lil Wayne the only one two dropping a million things back to back? And the gorillas. The gorillas are on it. They've been releasing like a oh, song on YouTube yeah, all the time. Oh, they're, yeah. They're uh, like web videos that they've been doing yeah like a weekly release oh. or some shit i was like i kind of not forgot about them but i really wasn't listening to them for a while and then i just kept seeing all this new music from them and i'm like and, and i just fell in love uh what was it the one where he's uh playing pinball noodle unplugged it on him i can't remember which song that is or pac-man i think he was playing pac-man no i don't even remember but, they've released so much crap lately yeah because i think they like came off a hiatus then humans I think the last one I really listened to is the Now Now, but the Song Machine seasons are, are just epic. Yeah, yeah. This, oh man, because is season, wow, it's season one. This is just going. He's planning to do this indefinitely. I mean, why not? It works. Like, not only was this one of the most sought out bands, but it's also like you're all you're doing is growing it, which was my point. Why aren't more artists making what these people are doing? You're, you're trapped inside. You're telling everybody else to be inside. OK, fair enough. Let everybody do that. But also, what else are you doing? Do the thing you, you already do. Pump out art. This should be the moment unless everybody's meticulously crafting their perfect thing right now and come 2021 a million different drops all at the same time happen well i've noticed a lot of the smaller bands and rappers are doing it like how scrooby's been dropping songs almost consistently throughout this whole time but i think now he's finally working on an album but he's only releasing like one song here and there kind of like the gorillas have been doing that's the right way to go. Just sort of right now is the time to reinvent what's happening. I just had a two guests ago. I had a guest called um, Colin Bressler, a director, and uh, he has a film on Amazon. And I'm telling him, like, this is the, the era of indie right now because so many big film uh, production companies refuse to put their film in theater because of how few people are going to the theater, which then brings up the interesting point that big films aren't there. Theaters still need something to air. You have a film. Take it to those. Fuck streaming. Yeah, that's great. And people can watch it at home, but put it in theaters that people want to go and sit and watch it on a big screen. For indie directors, this is the moment, right? So everybody's scared to do that go do that this should apply to every medium where right now we have the weirdest moment where everybody's on the internet for musicians the internet is like the secret weapon go all in on it and the gorillas are abusing that fact every week they have something new on youtube you can always get a new song and it's just ongoing that is amazing that is using the opportunity the way it should be and i know like concerts are really a thing of the past for this year i mean i had so many set up to go to and 
all of them had to get moved, like from Ramstein to Deftones, to, like all of them. But then you have bands like Dropkick Murphys have done a couple live concerts and it felt amazing. It felt like being there. It felt good to be connected with hundreds of thousands of people all as one again. And then other bands like Psycho Stick are doing one basically every Thursday. But you don't see a lot of bands doing that either. They, they've kind of all taken taken time off. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it has to do with how comfortable they are in life. Like, do they have the money that they don't have to do it? But all these other bands are still kind of hungry and they need they need to find a way to make some cash during this time. So they just keep trying to find a way to do it. It is a scary time for anybody who isn't like ready for it. Artists are struggling right now hard. They are. They are. I've been trying to support so many of them the best way I can. Yeah, it's a big problem. Like, who knows what's going to happen? Art is going to change dramatically because they cannot stand and survive on their... A lot of them. Any Anybody who's not already filthy rich or doing well enough to just survive the year, maybe a couple, um, without performing... Though, because even when you do make money, it's usually from live performances. You don't not, you no longer make money off of like selling albums and stuff. That gets mainly stolen by the companies you're either streaming it through, or whatever company is distributing your albums. Regardless Exa- of the case. And at that point, how many people are actually buying physical copies like that anymore? So it's all merch. It's all live. It, that that's where all that money is. Exactly. That's the only. And, place. and you just took that out from everybody. I mean, that's some crazy shit. So anybody who doesn't have that luxury is kind of fucked. So I got to be smart with your money even when you have it. Because yeah. you never know what's going to happen. That's the craziest shit, isn't it? Because there's that mentality of you know you never know what happens tomorrow. I could just get hit by a bus. Okay, so you, you know, enjoy your money while you have it. You don't need to save that much. And then some crazy shit happens like this. And it's like, you didn't die, but you might slowly and it's like, that's not better by any means. Maybe a little backup money would have been great. I mean, bad example because, you know, Van Halen, he had tons of money. But you also have things like that where you have a medical condition that now takes you out of touring pretty much indefinitely. They were on hiatus since like 2015 because of it. That's fucking crazy. Because oh Man, life is so random. We don't know what the hell is going on anywhere. No. <laughs> but it's- I guess that's why we call it a ride. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's just full of surprises. Everywhere we go is full of surprises, and there's no direction that uh, we can predict. We can always look forward, but we can't. We can always look back, but we can always only go forward. But we can never look forward, and we can never go back. And that's just the law of nature. We're just stuck in this infinitely forward-moving motion where hindsight is twenty twenty, but future sight is at zero. Oh, I was listening to some good stuff on twenty twenty. Uh, I mean, hindsight being like twenty twenty. Um, I think it was hidden, hidden brain. Maybe I don't know. It's one of those uh, NPR type shows, and, and they're just. It was talking about how we have this weird feeling where we can basically, at one moment, we could have changed one decision, and that would have changed the outcome of the entire future. But the truth is, we don't know that the events in the future still could have happened the way they happened, even if we changed one thing. Yeah, 100%. It's that whole argument of whether the butterfly effect is real or not. And who says if you go back in time and kill Hitler that a new Hitler wouldn't have arose during that same time? For sure. It just wouldn't have been Hitler. 
Yeah, we would have been faced with a million different variants. Would have been that. some guy named Jerry, for all we know. Yeah, because they were ready for it. It was that's the problem. the 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 circumstance for something like Hitler was just set based on the atmosphere, based on the mental state of the people. They just needed something like that, and it happened to be Hitler. But if there was no Hitler, some other guy would have seen the opportunity and taken it. It's I, I don't think th- I think reality is more like the movie The Time Machine. You know, you ever saw that movie? I don't think I have. Where the guy builds a time machine, tries to go save his girlfriend, and she just dies a different way. <laughs> Oh, it sound that that does sound familiar. At least the concept does, anyways. Yeah. So every time he went back, basically, she would it's like save Groundhog her. Day. Yes, it would always just no matter what the rules say, she had to die. And I guess that's a scary thing, which now decides, is it fate? Is it, can we change the foreseeable future? Do we already have a set plan? And no matter what we do, we're following that set plan? Or can we actually deviate from that? That's pretty complicated. I mean, look... This goes into what I am talking about when I uh, – I don't know how much of this show you've heard, but we, we do uh, – we a couple of times we've delved into ghosts, right? And the we landed on ghosts being something along the lines of like an echo. So an echo is just – maybe something happened at some point and that person going through there, maybe alive or dead, we're not really seeing a spirit or anything. We're just seeing somebody kind of cruising through and he's seeing the echo of the events that took place whenever that moment happened. And I think that's a perfect example of not being able to deviate from a set parameter of things. Like there is this direction that things are moving in infinitely and – no matter what the case might be, we could create variants, but those variants are going to fix themselves and aim us right back where we're going. And I think everything is sort of set in stone, but not like by a higher power of something. But how do we put it? If you can determine the exact position of a single atom, you can determine the exact position of every single atom. You ever heard about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the idea here. Everything is moving in reaction to everything else rather than us really making a significant change. I mean, you can also look at it very kind of more simply in with the yin and yang effect. It's just constantly balancing itself out. So yeah, you may make a change here, but it it's coming back around and it's going to meet back in the middle somewhere. Oh, the pendulum. Yes. I, I I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I feel with a lot of life, especially now lately, because everything just seems so out of control. So kind of seems like the best way to make it more comfortable, if you ask me, that it's, it's going to work out somehow. I may not know how, but it'll work out. It ha- Okay. See, it has to, right? Because if it was always bad, then that would be normal and we'd be experiencing nothing. This is just neutralized and we'd get over it. And if it was always good, that'd be normal and we would get used to it and we wouldn't care. So we kind of need this swing towards the negative and the dark and the bad to be like, ah, oh, fuck, this sucks. Just so that later, when it swings the other direction, we can have, oh, shit, this is good in contrast to having experienced bad. And vice versa. It was good for a while. That's the only reason we know it's bad right now. Exactly. I mean, how 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 do you know what good is without the bad? You You need the light to find the dark. You need the dark to show that there's a difference in the light. Yeah, I think that determines the the fact that every – I don't think any person is purely good. I don't think any person – like now that you say good and bad, that's a perfect example that every human – if we take it – we even take out the the universe itself and just focus on the individual. Every individual is good and bad. And there's a balance of that going on no matter what. Anybody who thinks, no, I'm a good person, in order for you to be this level of good, you have to understand that equal level of bad. You have to have that knowledge within you, that uh, capacity – Otherwise, you couldn't be good. You're choosing a side, but both of them exist within each individual. I think that's the law of nature. 
And the other thing is you may think that you're good, but what's good for you may not be good for somebody else. So you're the bad guy in someone else's story. You yes. may not be meaning to be, but you are. Yes, yes, 100%. Good is subjective. It's uh, up to each individual to really decide what they mean by good. That's why I try not to live my life based on others, but I try to do my best to kind of do what's best for me, but also try to not take advantage of other people, not not be the dick in their story to the best of my ability, I should say, because I can't control that. Yes. I'm not going to be everyone's friend. I'm not not everyone's going to like me as much as that hurts me to say, but not everyone's going to like me. I can't change that. I can just be the best me. That's that's all that there is. Cause, and even then, it's your interpretation of the best you. Exactly. I, I think you were, I don't remember who you were talking to or even how long ago, but um, you're basically saying like other people may not see you as you see you. They see you the way they see you. That, oh, that sounds so confusing. Yes. No, no, no. You're totally right. I think we were talking about when you're not interacting with somebody, right? If somebody died, right. but you don't know they're dead, I might know they're dead. And to me, they're dead, but I haven't told you they're dead. So to you, they're alive. Schrodinger's cat. Is the cat alive? Is it dead? Exactly. Until we don't know it's until we actually look ourselves. Exactly. But do we want to look ourselves? That is the real question. Do we want all the answers? Although we, like, we think we do. But do we? Like, is that really what we want? Mystery is part of everything, you know? That's the, the excitement. When we have, Once we have the answer, we just have to f think up a new question. I think that's partially why I like the paranormal field myself is because I'm chasing a mystery that I'm probably never going to understand. And if I do understand something, now there's another question to be looking after. There, It's just an ever-rotating like door of new questions, new things to look for, new new things to research, new just all of that. And it, it's just never ending. And I love that. Just learning something new every day. Would you be satisfied if you did get an answer to any question? I think I'd be more disappointed, to be honest. What if it turned out to be something supernatural the way you're thinking it is? That's a good point. But I was actually thinking about that question. It's like if I had a wish and I could be like I want to know for a fact, is there an afterlife? I want to know for a fact, is there ghosts? Are, is Bigfoot real? I don't, I, I really don't know if I'd want that answer. I, I think there's some beauty to not knowing. So then do you play with it in your head? Do you, rather than begging for the answer and doing a bunch of, you know, sneaking into the haunted places by yourself with a camera and trying to, like, you're... Reading on it, speculating on it, working the thoughts in your mind, trying to come to conclusions because you want to preserve the mystery but enjoy the mystery all at the same time. Do you, I really, do you have your I, own understanding of what's happening? I think I have an understanding that satisfies me. Like I'm definitely a believer. I, I will straight up believe that ghosts are real. I believe that there are cryptids out there because we discover things all the time. I mean, gorillas at one point were considered a cryptid. We, we just didn't know they existed. And then there they were in the woods or jungle, I should say. But I, I, like, I think I like the idea more of discussing it and having an open conversation with people and seeing their point of view on it and how it compares to mine. I like the folklore and the tradition and seeing how that actually affects how cultures kind of come and grow. Like like my my personal favorite are probably yokai because there is a individual demon or spirit or creature to explain every little bit of the world that someone couldn't understand. 
Like there's a yokai specifically for Echo, um, yokai for Luck. Uh, I honestly think there's a tree yokai. I can't think. Of, I was going to say it's a Jaboku, but that's the vampire tree. Um, but basically, I was like, that's their way of explaining why or how women walking in next to banana trees were becoming pregnant. I think it's just a way of them describing they didn't understand the idea of rape. So that was their way of explaining rape. There was someone waiting in the trees and they took advantage of someone walking by. So I just think that there's this beauty to seeing how we don't understand the world and how we can perceive it. See, I, I completely agree with that. But then basically what you're describing is the foundation for religion, the the need for answers for questions that don't have obvious answers, uh, approaching it from rather than a mystical angle, you're approaching it from a supernatural angle. But it's more or less the same idea. It's answers for questions with no answers. And once the scientific, uh, provable, and replicatable answer arrives, then, okay, maybe that wasn't what I thought it was, but all these other unanswered things are. Exactly. And, you know, I never really thought of it that way as looking at it as like the foundation of, of a religion or seeing it in that light. But that does make a lot of sense because – it's our way of explaining something that we we don't understand and making ourselves a little more comfortable in the world. We we have a way of dealing with the unknown um, with with yokai. Like if we're hearing, so for example, like the Beto Beto san, he you hear footsteps walking behind you on a dark road. You're kind of creeped out. You don't know what to do, but you're you're hearing something. So they came up with a way to explain it. They they came up with a way. There's this giant friendly entity falling behind you and he just wants to be your friend. But if he creeps you out enough, just step to the side and say, go ahead of me, Beto Beto-san. And, and it's supposed to help ease the situation. Very interesting. See, now my question would be, why do they attribute these things the way they do? Like what tells them to create this unless they know literally what it is and they're making the story for children is it a romeo and juliet situation is it a shakespeare kind of thing that he's more warning people through a story and putting it in a way for perhaps children to digest instead of saying there's a guy waiting for you in the trees to go rape you they go ahead and they make the banana tree story right so that way you fear the banana tree at night and you don't go that way thus protecting you. And I think that's where a lot of folklore and these creatures and stories come along. Like La Llorona, don't go play down near the river. This girl's going to get you and drown you. Like, I, I, I just think it's, there's a big mix of it. And, and I think when it comes to these and folklore, it's really just a way of saying, hey, we don't know exactly what's happening, but we want you to be safe. We're going to scare you into being safe. It reminds me of the movie The Village. Yes. Which I think gets a lot more hate than it does deserves to. Hell but. yes, that movie was astounding. People just look. People just bored of that guy's plot twist endings or whatever the fuck. But like, I don't mind. We you go in there expecting it. Like, get over it. You know. I mean, if you expect a twist, is it really a twist at that point? Yeah, exactly. Now it's just because you're expect. Stop being angry at it because it's already something you're expecting to happen. You just don't know how it's going to unfold. That's how I felt when everyone was talking about that movie, uh, was it Bird Box, where they, if you saw the creature, it killed you? I'm like, they already did this. It was called The Happening, and it was with the trees and bird uh, plants, and that made a little more sense to me. Well, At you didn't like one, the Bird Box? Was that Bird Box where um, they had to, like, if they went out during the day, they had to, like, blindfold themselves? Yeah. I was like, they already did this. It's The Happening, just with sight. And what was The Happening? They just couldn't go outside, right? 
Uh, the happening. It was like was, the grass was killing them or it, some shit. It was like the plants. There was like um how certain plants can release a pheromone to dissuade um insects from eating them or other animals. It was basically happening to people, and it was causing them to basically kill themselves in a way to protect the plant species. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't really think there was a a really definite answer as to what was happening, but I think that's probably why I got a lot of hate. Look, at least it's not that movie with Mel Gibson where the evil thing was the milk. Oh, I mean, if you want to go really crazy, we got a basket case where the dude had his brother inside a basket and the basket was killing people. I, I love B-horror. Like, I, I, I say that with such disdain, but I love that movie because I, I love cheesy horror. See, the, the when it comes to cheesy horror, the champion is forever Evil Dead. Definitely. And let, let, if you look at Evil Dead... Think of how much shots in that movie were done. Oh my God, rubber! I the movie's have, amazing. That, that, <laughs> that's that's a really weird movie too. But it Evil is. Dead, Evil Dead was like these B horror movies make way for new for new film techniques to be used too because they can take that chance. Yes, like like the camera panning out from the inside of the cabin all the way out. Like, like that really wasn't done beforehand, and I don't think people were willing to take that risk. Here's the thing. This is my whole beef with art, and I've said this a million times before, but screw you listeners, I gotta say it again. I am bored of the over-polished repetition. Just like the bands, everything has that. The reason I don't watch anime the way I used to watch anime is because anime used to have a unique feel. All animes had this uh, awesome look, unique art, unique voices, and then we kind of got to this normality where they all have the same kind of polished look. They all have the same type of animation being done. They all have a relatively similar story being told. And that's frustrating. Well, that same thing applies everywhere across the board where there's this sort of people are scared to take a risk. They're just doing whatever is the safest. And in doing so, they don't explore anything. And like you said, they're not willing to take that risk and just do a simple different camera shot. It's like, yeah, it's sad. But I wonder how much of that is the artist and how much of it is the company wants to make money. So we're only going to do this if we know that it's the safe choice. I think it's definitely the company and people not willing to risk the starving artist's life. Everybody essentially wants a quick gratification. Like, I have to make money and survive quickly off of this. Rather than do it how people did it in the past, man. They had a side job and they grinded. They kept grinding until I mean, what they wanted picked up. That's what I'm doing right now. I mean, I got side hustle and photography, side hustle podcasting. But it's not my career. I have to work to make money somehow. Exactly. That's the way to do it. I don't know why people are all in a rush to just, this has to pay me. But then you hate what you're doing because you're not doing what you love. You're doing what you're being told to. I mean, that that's like me with, with the podcast. I don't think it's ever my goal to really make money off it or be big and famous. I was just looking for a way because a lot of people in my personal life aren't really into this paranormal and folklore type things. So it was just a way for me to connect with people that were into it. I think we have the same origin story, man. I think it's the same idea that I'm not particularly surrounded by people who are that into philosophy, that into critical thinking just for the, the shits and giggles of playing with a thought and seeing where it takes us. And uh, I did want some sort of outlet that took me there. And I guess this is sort of the natural evolution of that. Well, that's the beauty with the internet and even podcasts. Like you can find that connection and it doesn't have to be your best friend or your next door neighbor or your family. Like there are people out there that like the things you do. 
there are people out there that enjoy the same things you do. And it's really just about finding them. And what better way to do it than having a podcast where you invite people on and just discuss with them. A hundred percent. where that goes. But there's, there's a particularly double-edged sword to, to that. The internet is just as, like we were talking about earlier, there is that pendulum swing, there's a yin and yang. Everything has a good, has a bad. So even just focusing on one topic of uh, there's the good that we can find our audience, it that's also the bad that we can easily find our audience just by that putting echo something chamber. in the Well, no, it's because in the past you had to go out there and strive for it and it's not around you. Okay, you got to start traveling. You got to start putting your work out there yourself with your own money, doing your thing before long. You're a superstar doing it because you needed to find the audience and they were nowhere around you. You had the strive and energy to push and push and push until you had the amount of people that made you satisfied. Now it's so easy to get the audience that we're not fighting as hard as somebody had to 20 years ago, 30 years ago. The mega celebrities we see now had to struggle and go from nothing to finding their audience through the hardest of obstacles. And as a result, the skills they had to develop, their tools are sharp. Ours are nowhere near that because we don't have to struggle as hard to just upload something on the internet, be consistent enough, and eventually somebody's going to Google the right combination of words and find us. I mean, viral videos are viral for a reason. It's your 15 minutes of fame. It, it's, it catches, you get big, and then you try to ride that wave as long as you can. But I don't think you get a lasting effect that way. Nope. It's the Will Smith thing. You, you lay a million bricks slowly, eventually you have a house. But if you just throw all the bricks together, people will notice the bricks, but eventually they just see a pile of bricks and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. It, it, you you got to shape it. You got to build it. You got to grow with it. it, it it's... And speaking of like the good and bad with the the internet is you don't see that anymore either on all these people that have done it. You really don't see that anymore. That all happens behind the scenes now because everyone only wants to show you the good. Yep. That's the social media problem right there. That's Instagram in a bubble. You know, you post it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't have X amount of likes in, you know, the first 10 minutes. Oh, that sucks. I'm going to delete it and try again. Why? Just post it, forget it and let it be what it is. Yeah. We're starting OnlyFans and uh, get those followers. Well, I don't think anyone wants my OnlyFans. But... <laughs> you never know. You grind it long enough. Eventually, somebody's <laughs> going to wander through. But that's it. Like all, all those things out there now, it, it's just to get that 15 minutes of fame to make you feel good. Uh, you know, Twitch streaming, everyone's doing it. And it's because they want to be the center of attention, whether it's for an hour or five hours, they want to be the next big thing. I wonder what's driving something like that, that we have this society of people just hungry for attention. And if they're not doing it by creating art, they're doing it by bashing art. They're doing it by rage, raging, outrage culture, like, you know, a cancel culture and all this bullshit. Everybody's voice needs to be hurt no matter what they do, no matter what the approach is. You're not creative. Okay, then you have to be critic. If you are uh, creative, then you got to be creative louder than everybody else. And you got to be way more creative than everybody else. And you got to push the boundaries at all times. That, that's like, I, I just, like I said, I do it for me. I, I Everything I do in this world is for me. If I get interested in something, I'm going to do it. I don't care where it goes. I don't care if it gets big. I'm doing it because, A, I want to see if I can do it. And B, it looks like fun. So I, I just I never got that. And I, I'm thinking the whole reason Twitch got big is because in the early days of video games, you handed your uh, brother or sibling, sister, whatever, a controller that wasn't plugged in and let them pretend to be playing. So maybe that's why that got big, watching other people play. 
Fair enough. I, I never got into the whole watching somebody play a game. That's always been strange to me. I could never just sit there and watch. I have to be the one playing or I'm not into it. But I get how it did come to be, especially as our generation is of the gamers that are the hardcore gamers and the original wave of gamers, nevertheless. And then those coming after us had to, for many years, watch us be the ones gaming. So it does look like the natural progression of that is we grew up watching them play now we don't live with them. How do we keep watching somebody play and then Twitch picks up? So like a very nostalgia thing or, you know, someone like me who, like I said, hosting a podcast and working and, you know, doing photography and, and all that other stuff. I don't have the time to play anymore, but I still want to see the the story. So maybe every now and then I'll watch someone play something that I wanted to play myself and just don't have the time. Interesting, interesting. I I don't know. I would rather put a YouTube video where they show me the story summarized and then I get the gist of it than watch somebody slowly play through the game. Oh, yeah, because then you get angry. Like, no, you got to do that. Why aren't you doing that? Like when you watch a horror movie. Yeah, fair enough. You're them for making the bad choice. Do you have any horror movies you actually find scary or has that died for you? Um... I've had ones that creep me out. I've had ones that stick with me, and I've had moments in horror stories that stick, uh, horror movies that stuck with me. But other than that, I mean, I'm very prone to jump scares. I don't know why. I jump at like sudden loud noises and that sudden flash, but I wouldn't really say they're scary. I, I just, something about them makes me jump. But if I had to say one moment that has always stuck out to me in a horror movie and has still affected me to this day since watching it, Final Destination 2, that log truck. Wow. Out of all the things, that's where I did not expect you to go there. I don't know why. And I'm like, it's so I, I think those movies are underrated, too. But that 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 scene sticks with me. And I have a feeling it sticks with other people because I rarely see people driving behind those trucks. Fair enough. I, I do definitely remember that. And it's always a paranoia. Like, what if this fucks up right now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. And I wouldn't say it scared me. It just it stuck with me. Oh, yeah. I had an, a big impression. See, uh, so so there's no actual film that, uh, for example, for me, I can watch it now. But as a kid, the bla- I w- even as a kid, I wasn't necessarily the most scared individual ever. I was always kind of bored of horror movies. But the one time that wasn't the case, it was the Blair Witch Project. I think if I'm more scared of any horror movie, it's usually more tied to Earth with like a, a serial killer than a supernatural event because it just seems more likely to happen to me like you know like the collector the collect oh actually if i was going to say any movie scared me the collector because someone's breaking into your home setting up some home alone type death traps and what you have no way of knowing that it just kind of happens there it's out of your control you're not going into the woods looking for something this guy broke into your home see and just chose you i can't and that the for whatever reason that doesn't scare me i think the unknown is what i find fearful And not just the unknown unknown, but rather the fact that I know that there for a fact is something and I don't know what it is. I think that's really what got me from the Blair Witch Project. I think it was the fact that they're out here for something. And if nothing happens, great. But then it gets weird and you still don't ever see the thing. I think that's where it starts to pick at me. That you never see the bad guy. You never see the monster. And it's always a giant question mark. And you're always wondering what the hell is happening. You know what was a really, really good show? It was The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah. I actually finally found time to start watching that. I'm only a couple episodes in, but it looks so beautiful. Yes. The mystery and the questions take you all the way to the last episode. And I hope you enjoy that because it is 
definitely worth it. Oh yeah, I definitely will. I, like I said, I've been loving it so far. I'm like, gotta be like three or four episodes in myself. And aren't they coming out with a new season soon? I was hearing something about that. Yeah, it's Haunting of... Sly Manor? Yeah, there you go. That did, I think it came out the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited I, to watch that. My question is, is it going to hold up? I don't know. Because they got to do the same level of mystery twice. Because the mystery and the unknown is what made the original series what it was. There was a, a legitimate, like, I don't know what's happening and that's what's scary. Like, I don't know what's going on. But now you kind of have more of an idea. So how are they going to switch that up? And that's what I felt like with Lost at the end of it. By the end of Lost, as beautiful as the show that was, they had to keep outdoing themselves. So at one point, it just became too ridiculous. Like, and how they had to keep outdoing themselves to keep that mystery going. Yeah. Cloud monsters in heaven, man. That's how, that's where we get to. Cloud monsters in heaven. All right. So I'm taking your word on it. Bly Manor is going to have cloud monsters in heaven. Hey, man. It is what it is. Cloud <laughs> monsters in heaven for days. <laughs> but yeah, my my wife's the same way as you, though. She, her philosophy is she loves serial killers and stuff like that because she knows that they break in. She has a chance of fighting them. She hates the supernatural and all that other stuff because you can't fight a ghost. I mean, unless you're the Ghostbusters, there's no way to take down a ghost. See, here's, For... a, here's, here's my comment on that. I don't think I'm scared of the idea of a ghost. One, because I probably don't really believe in a ghost. And second, if I do believe in a ghost, I don't think it could harm me. I don't think it could even get in contact with me. But well, what, I even... th what I think I'm actually scared of is knowing that there is something and not knowing what the something is. That's my like unique fear. Well, I, th I think when it comes to ghosts, even if they were real or not, there's not much to fear because there's really only one story where the death is actually attributed to a ghost, and that is the Bell Witch. The Bell um, Witch? What the hell's that? So, oh, that's a really, really interesting uh, story right there. So um, why do I want to say Tennessee? I'm not sure if it's Tennessee, but anyways, there was a family that kept getting visited by a spirit, a very powerful spirit. And it could talk at will, it could travel back and forth, it could travel across countries and come back and let people know what was going on. But she had a very disdained taste for the husband of the family and actually ended up poisoning him. And in the case notes, I'm pretty sure it's actually attributed to this spirit poisoning him. And it's the only case where that is attributed to the death of a person, a ghost. Interesting. So in that case, most ghosts or what we think are ghosts are actually more along the lines of demons because there's no real lingering spirit out there. Right. So, I, I mean, like it never really has an outcome. She promised to come back like 23 years later and never did. It wouldn't surprise me if the wife secretly poisoned the, the husband at some point, but it's attributed that this spirit switched out the bottles and poisoned the husband. Interesting, interesting. You know what that makes me think about? I don't know why. It's uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yes, the 23 years later thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been getting into so many debates about this movie and the timeline of this movie. I'm pretty sure they all take place in 2001. All of them? All of them. Because Jeepers Creepers 1, I want to say, is, the, is actually the first in the series. Then Jeepers Creepers 3 takes place almost immediately after the first one. And then Jeepers Creepers 2 actually takes place at the end of the series. So like at the end of that 23 year season, because they actually jump around, I believe to like 1978 
and then forward into the future where and one of them where the creature is going to be waking up again soon interesting so you're thinking that well no didn't he wake up in film two no he woke yeah, up for the first time no, in film one he woke up for the first time in one when three ha three happens and they damage the creature and it ends with showing the kids getting on the bus yes or around there and two uh two actually starts with the kids on the bus and i'm pretty sure that's the end of the 23 days Mm hmm. Interesting. I never thought about that. I gotta see these are Jeepers Creepers is legitimately something I find creepy. It, it is creepy if you really think about it. And it's all based off of one song from like the early 60s. Really? That song was or a real that song? song? That Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those people? Yeah, that was a song. And I'm pretty sure this movie is just based off the song. Whoa, that's a that's creativity right there. I mean, there are some other issues with this director that we don't have to talk about, but yeah, it is creativity. <laughs> oh, yeah. See right there, sexual abuse victims of supposedly an earlier film, he um, was basically molesting a child that was on set. That he did his time, like a... he came out, and then wrote Jeepers Creepers like later on. Yeah, that sounds like a rich, rich, successful people right there. <laughs> yeah, Petalwood right there, but... Yeah, do you know what? I don't... <sighs> It sucks, but like it is what it is. Like like Trump said about the death toll of Corona, it is what it is. I mean, I think in any field, any any career choice, you're gonna get the good and the bad. And sadly, it's the bad people that end up getting the most limelight. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. One because they have more strive, and two, that's usually because they're out of their fucking minds and have less holding them back emotionally. They're also usually the louder ones, and for some reason, we as people love tragedy. Yeah. I mean, look, there's some hypocrisy in people in general. Another conversation I've had a million times about, like, why is it that we are okay with, for example, some types of child labor, but not other types of child labor? Why are we okay with some types of pornography, but not other types of pornography? Like, you can't be a hooker. You can't sell your body for money. No, that's a crime. But you can record porn and get paid for it that's legal yeah it's weird and it's like oh my god i was reading i don't know if it's a meme or not i didn't look too far into it uh but there was a post one of the states it's legal to actually have weed you just can't buy it so there was a psychic detective agency that you hired to help you find your stash really it was just them bringing you weed yeah <laughs> you gotta find the loopholes man yeah that's the only way to do it because it's, it's some backwards ass shit going on it's really strange yeah i've always felt by me if it grows in the ground fine by me but for some reason we're more okay with you know chemicals in your body and you know opiates for example like that that seems more okay than something that naturally grows i mean you can naturally grow heroin that's true too <laughs> like it really depends what parameters you're putting here i'm sure coke is also just a plant i mean i guess it's really where do we draw the line and do we stick to that my my real problem is why do we feel we have the right to tell an adult what they could do with their body that too i've i've always felt i, I feel like if i was to choose any religion it'd totally be the satanic temple because they basically say do what you want to do, just don't stop other people from doing what they want to do or causing harm. Exactly. Exactly. See, here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand that uh, 
um, Satanism isn't about devil worship. They think devil worshippers are Satanists. And no, Satanists chose that name ironically. They're actually atheists with way more logic than usually atheists themselves claiming to be, and most theisms. Exactly. And they, they definitely they hold true more to science and science guiding you than, you know, anything else. So they basically like you want the abortion, get the abortion. You don't, you don't. What? Who are we to tell you how to live your life? You're a grown adult. Do what you want to do. Just don't harm others. Exactly. That's pretty much it. And then you look at the, the contrast between like Catholic church and child molestations and the fact that uh, Satanists condemn that. Exactly. But the Satanists are the ones who are wrong and bad. Yes, yes, because they don't uh, worship God and rape wo- children. I've always wondered, and it always why Catholicism. I mean, I, I, granted, wars and victory is who writes the history, but it just seems so weird that Catholicism has such a stronghold when there were so many other religions out there too at the time. But they've all seemed to come and go at some point. So who knows what's going to happen down the line? The reason Catholicism is the dominant religion is entirely about the way they've adapted over time. Catholicism is just uh, Greek mythology readapted, and Greek mythology was just North mythology readapted. It's the same idea. It just kept moving. Greek uh, North mythology was just Hinduism readapted. It just kept moving and morphing and changing, and uh, Catholicism's ability to adapt consistently to just keep changing the rules on itself so that it's always current while other religions really stick to their books hard think about how you can go party have premarital sex do this this and that then go into a confessional and get rid of it that allows you to live life the way you want today go to church and you're fine again or you know you want to be able to get divorces you just go into a different sect of catholicism a hundred percent it's all about how that religion has adapted. They've they've willingly changed themselves. They hide the fact that they changed themselves, but all you got to do is look at Catholicism now versus 50 years ago, and then look at that Catholicism versus Catholicism 2,000 years ago. And there's such drastic difference, but all under the same umbrella name. It's just weird how we make loopholes for the things that we want, when really, if you're going to believe in religion, shouldn't you be following it from strict the code from the get-go well then that brings up the question should they follow religion or should they follow faith i yeah that's true um for me i just follow ideas i i i uh, i have my ideas and what that falls under is what i follow like i i don't really like i guess i believe in a higher power but i'm not really into any religion per se because i think they all get it wrong somewhere Okay, so do you think you believe in higher power and go simultaneously? Those are two ideas that coexist in your mind. But see, like when I say higher power, I don't know if I necessarily mean like a god per se. I I, I guess if that's the case, there is, but everything had to start somewhere. And so what created life, what created the first star in the system i don't know so i guess there has to be something else further down the line but then the question is why does everything need a beginning you know what that's uh that's a really good point and i guess my my idea behind it is i want to it i guess comfort it's an understanding it feels weird to think that everything just was so like that that's probably why i never really stayed in, even though i'm confirmed i never really stayed in catholicism because i'm like how could god just be where where was that all started but i guess things can always just continuously go yeah because let's think about it let's let's approach god through science 
there was a singularity. Okay, where'd that come from? That's true. I mean, you can't even the first start would have to start somewhere. So what would have started that? Yeah. See, I like to use the term the I like the difference between the terms perception, awareness, universe, and reality. Because I think those are very different things. For example, whether it be a Big Bang or whether it's God, yeah, it always existed. But where did it exist? There had to be a space it existed in. Maybe not space as we know it, but it was within reality. At all times, that's all within. That's all taking place within reality. There's no question that reality was there first. But then you got to ask, like, what is re- is reality itself a location, potential energy? Where did this come from? What is the definition of reality per se, where everything else is gathered and collected? God did not make reality. He made the universe. But God is a product of reality. The singularity didn't make reality. It made the universe. But the singularity is a product of reality. So what the fuck is reality to begin with, in which gods and singularities and consciousnesses and awarenesses can come to be? Yeah. And and if you also think about it that way, reality to us is only real when we acknowledge it. So what exists outside of our own reality? Is everything that's happening actually happening? Or is that just how we are perceiving it? Yeah, exactly. We that's the biggest problem because our perception is so minimal. God knows what we're missing. Exactly. I mean that and I guess that's how I feel too when it falls back into the paranormal. It's like just I I really hate this term but it fits most of the time absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. It it could just be outside of our grasp. I'm not saying ghosts but maybe you were talking about the time shift and echoes and it's just how occasionally there's this weird area where our reality and that reality intertwine and we catch a glimpse of it. Isn't that interesting? That is definitely a fascinating idea. Now, to dissect your reality, have you ever personally had a a paranormal experience? I've actually had a couple. Um, Personally, the one that was most interesting to me, and I can't, I've never actually, I guess I'll start by telling you what it is. So my ex at the time was a quote unquote she believed that she could see ghosts. I never questioned her on it. But I remember one time we were talking and then all of a sudden she just kind of like phased out into this kind of blankness. And like every time she kept coming back, she just kept saying she couldn't breathe. She couldn't breathe. And there was this weird moment where I know this is going to make me sound crazy and I don't even care. Um, she basically channeled my uncle through her, someone that she never met, I never really talked about. He had died of an overdose like way before we met. And it was this weird moment where it felt like I could hear her voice and his voice. I looked into her eyes. I saw his. It it was weird and I can't explain it. And now part of me is wondering, even after the fact later on, the more I kind of think about it, makes me wonder how much of that was actually happening, how much of that was this weird reality shift where a moment like that can happen, or how much of that is me remembering it weird or different, or how much of that is me putting my own thoughts and feelings behind it, and really, she was just acting crazy. Yeah, that's intense. I don't even know how I'd react to that. I basically, it, it's one of those things where I know what, I, I mean, it happened to me. I saw it happen. I can't explain it, but 
it's definitely a weird event that happened to me in my life. It sounds fucking horrifying, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, especially because like she literally every time I'm using air quotes here. Every time my uncle stopped talking through her, she literally like had no recollection of what was happening and she really couldn't breathe. So it was it was this really weird situation of do I look at it normal and get her help or is something strange actually happening that I can't explain? Fascinating. And you have no conclusion to that. You just play with that I've in your mind. I never came to a conclusion to that. Um, it's kind of hard. And I, I another thing I have an issue with with most of the paranormal world and trying to find an answer, it's not something you can really keep repeating. It's not something you can kind of test and hypothesize and make it happen. Like it happened and it never happened again. So how am I going to test that out? Fascinating. You're definitely telling the truth there because the, the fact that it even happened was an anomaly on its own. Like recreating something like that without knowing the parts for it. Like what do you even do? It's all left to speculation from that moment forward. And even if you were – let, let's just say it happened and it actually happened. We're just going to hypothesize that this event happened the way it happened and it really did. I don't know what triggered it. I don't know what stars in the skies had to realign to make it happen, what energy in the room had to make it happen. Was she emotionally in a weird state to make it happen? Like you can't figure all that out it, it it just it happened and you hope that it happens again so you can figure it out but it never does yeah it's intense have you had any other experiences similar to that um not similar to that i mean i was in a really bad car crash where actually a uh i bounced off two brick walls basically like knocking them out of the ground and i actually had a brick go through the passenger side window and I walked out of that scot-free, like no scratches, no nothing, no concussions, no whiplash, just PTSD from the event. But it, to me, it really felt like I had someone protecting me that whole time. Really? Like, like as if someone was there to make sure that I nothing happened to me. And again, I got the adrenaline going through me. I have the event happening and it being over in a second. So... How much of that is actually me witnessing something? How much of that is me putting my own thoughts of trying to explain how nothing bad happened to me? So, and I think that's where a lot of these events happen. Something strange happens to you. You don't know how to explain it. Therefore, ghosts. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's the uh, the fallacy of religion. Anytime that something happens, you just attach the uh, X value you've already assigned or decided assigns to everything and uh, just keep it moving. So the second something is unexplainable, well, it's supernatural until further notice. Exactly. And I, I mean, supernatural, I think, gets a bad term. And all it really means is that it's more than natural, something that we can't understand. Exactly. It could still be natural in the end. It's just beyond our grasp. Yeah. Including things we see. Like if we think of, um, for example, aliens being real or some nonsense like that. Like, yeah, that's supernatural until we prove that it is just natural. Even cryptids, like I said before, being discovered, strange animals, the relinquent. I always say that word wrong and I always end up calling it after the Pokemon it's based or the Pokemon that's based off of it. We thought it was extinct. All of a sudden it's alive. No longer a cryptid. Now it's biology. Do you... What's your take on something like Bigfoot? Hmm. Uh, that's a weird one to me. I think out of all of them, it might be one of the more plausible ones. 
I, I don't know if I believe Bigfoot is real, and I'm probably going to lose a lot of listeners for that one. But at some point, I think he was. At some point, there was something ape-like and large that lived in the woods, and we got a fear of it. Um, we decided that it's something that we had to be afraid of, and I think it just kind of followed through generation to generation being told and being told and it's now something that's kind of stuck in our heads and now we want i think we want to believe that bigfoot is real so bad that we start seeing him everywhere that we actually believe that he's real which may fall in the line of a tulpa which is the whole idea of your idea creating something imaginary but bringing it into the real world under that idea that means nothing could really be gone forever like you could always have experienced an event. The creature is real. The creature goes extinct. The stories remain. The stories perpetuate, move forward through time, grow. Eventually, you re-manifest the thing that ceased being. Well, well, think about all these cultures that have told stories of strange beings and entities, and that has passed down from time to time, and that's the reality. Therefore, that entity is real to them. Who's to say that it's not real? It's real to them. They believe in it. It's real. I'm not going to tell them it's not. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That goes back to perception because ultimately what you're saying is that even if we're not perceiving it because we don't believe in it, they could in theory be perceiving it because they do believe in it. Exactly. It's sort and, of uh, like interpreting – if we if we use keep using religion as an example here – Anytime something happens, if it's good, you just, for whatever reason, inherently see it as a result of God helping. But if it's you're, bad, you inherently see it as the devil meddling. Well, yeah, you've put it this way. Your doctor put you, saved your life through surgery. You thank God that the surgery went safe. When really you should be thanking the doctor, but who's to say that God didn't send the doctor down to protect you? Exactly. It's, I guess it's all perspective. It's where you're coming from. Yeah, and that's why, like, even in my show, I, even though I wrap up and I may tell you exactly what I think it is, I will never tell anyone else to think what it is because, to to me, that's on them. It, it's my perception comes to one conclusion, your perception comes to another. Who's to say who's right and wrong? Definitely, I completely es agree with that. Especially if there's no science and actual physical evidence to back it up. Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. But here's the craziest part. When there is no science to back it up, right, and we have no none of that in sight, it's left to our imagination, essentially, to, to play with the facts we have. But what's to say science doesn't come in later and reframe that? Should those people then stop believing in the thing? I mean, that's a good question. Um, if it was me, I like to let science guide my my facts and the problem is science is always changing so i'm always open to changing my mind and opinion on things but i i guess it the question that's a, that's actually a really good point do we force people to stop believing in what they believe and I, I guess it really comes down to the topic you want to believe in god and we can prove god's not real why should i tell you not to believe in god if it gives you comfort why should i tell you not to believe in psychics even though the majority of them have been proven to be false it brings you comfort so do i want to be the dick and say hey you don't get comfort or, you know, let you have that one thing that may be bringing you happiness as long as it's not harming other people. So I, I guess I would let that slide as long as it's not harming somebody. But you see where I, I would even take that a step further and say that, for example, believing in God, right? We prove God isn't real, but how do we know that the singularity we managed to prove isn't that same God they're talking about? 
It made the universe. It made uh, the stars. It made the skies. It made the people. It made individuals. And for all we know, that is the God that we we know in the term God or Buddha or Allah or any of that, it, which goes down to the same thing. I think all the religions are talking about the same people with a different name. Yes, 100%. So, so, maybe, so maybe that singularity is God and we don't perceive God as that, but we perceive God as a person because that's what we were told. Yeah. It's entirely that uh, the, the religion of science, you could call it. It's the religion of science, and they have their rules and their methods, but what is math to science if not the Bible to Christians? Exactly, and which is why I've always said, like, who knew, like, where did the whole idea that silver killing werewolves worked? Where did the cross and the vampire fall down or garlic or salt and ghosts? Like, where did that all start and originate? And it has to come from somewhere. So who's to say that? that wasn't passed down from this whole one entity and it just traversed through time and we just know it now. Yeah. 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 It's, it's you're so weird, especially the old stuff. The problem is because we can't go back in time and see, we don't know if there was such a thing as a vampire or a werewolf and where these stories originated. And even if they did originate in this place, like, Let's say we could explain it away. Is the explanation not just what they were talking about? But even at that, even if we could explain it away, there are still weird anomalies out there that we can't explain, like the blue people of Kentucky. It was a family of inbreds that just had blue skin. They, they I, I think through years of inbreeding, they had a recessive trait that just seemed to multiply. So it gave their skin like this really weird blue tint. That's and they were strange. real. Like science has kind of shown how it happened, but it was an anomaly that we didn't understand at one point. So who's to saying that these other anomalies couldn't have been real at some point? Yeah, this is this is exactly my point. Like, let's say we do find, okay, so the vampire is a person who, for whatever reason, had uh, particularly long canines, and uh, they had this condition that caused them to be feral and cannibalistic. And like, okay, how is that different than the person that they described as long canine, creepy night people who bit people? And like, well, this is why they did. Yeah, okay, you explained it, but it's the same concept, generally speaking. All we did was attach science to it. All the all, everything that came from it is still the same. I think science just argues the label we put on it. I, I mean, I do have my issue with science in some ways too, because not all science is correct. And I think Sonny in Philadelphia had said it best: "Science is wrong sometimes." Or what was it? Science, um, stupid science, bitches. Because we are constantly contradicting and learning new things. So what we believed in like the 1800s is not what we believe today. At one point, we thought the Earth revolved around uh, the Sun revolved around the Earth. Now we we know that the Earth revolves around the Sun. So who's to say somewhere down the line we don't discover something new to that too? A hundred percent, because we're just always working with the parts that we have. And that's that's why I think it's possible to believe in the paranormal because it. And when I say paranormal, it just means it's other than normal. At some point, if we discover it, it may become normal. It just may be another part of our life that we just weren't open to yet that's actually We'd, very interesting the fact that we could uh, just normalize something that used to be paranormal and it just be a day-to-day -day normality at some point 
I mean, Futurama, which is pretty written down in science, has people living with aliens and fast traveling from time to time. Who's to say somewhere down the line that can't happen? We may not have the technology now. That doesn't mean somewhere down the future we won't. Yeah, but I think sci-fi aims in a whole different direction in that it's always based on the possibility. That's true. And what I do like about Futurama, too, is they actually used a lot of different actual physical science facts like they use mathematics to prove how if you could switch your brain with one person but you can't just switch back that way and you just keep happening there's a mathematical equation to figure out how that's going to come back i don't understand explain that so what episode i don't remember what episode it is but i two of the characters they kind of switch their minds in an experiment gone wrong but they need to switch their brains back but they can't switch with each other again so they have to keep switching brains until everyone can kind of get back into their own body. And they actually wrote, and I believe published, a mathematical equation to actually make that work. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's the, but that show is really tied down in actual science and math. It's hidden in there everywhere. Those writers on it must have had, like, doctorates or something. Yeah, no. When it comes to Futurama, when it comes to uh, Rick and Morty, and when it comes to Family Guy, there is a level of awareness in all the things that they do that is kind of impressive. Like, it's made in such a way that it's funny for people who aren't, like, way in. But then it's also posed with real, thought-out things. When it comes to science definitely uh, Futurama and uh, Family Guy seem to understand science heavily and the theories in science and established sciences. And when it comes to Rick and Morty, they do that same idea with philosophy. Really complicated moral philosophy, philosophies of reality. And these three shows are particularly unique in that they happen to execute these things and almost go undetected in doing so. It's kind of like a little Easter egg for the people who do truly understand it. Yes, 100%. 100%. That's actually why I like Rick and Morty so much. They pose real questions that you sit and ponder, and then anybody who isn't about that life is just going to laugh at the funny cartoon. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. And that's, I think, what I really like about certain shows. Like, I, I believe the tie was... Um, not how I met your mother. Uh, the big bang was a show about smart people for dumb people. And the show at sunny in Philadelphia was a show about dumb people, but for smart people, yes. there's so many hidden nuances in there that goes over a lot of people's heads, but it's genuinely there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The, the social commentary hidden inside of, uh, some, some, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's particularly astounding. They, you know what? I would argue that it's always sunny in Philadelphia is similar to SpongeBob in that aspect because people don't realize how ridiculously deep SpongeBob is. I would say that that's probably the greatest cartoon ever made because of their execution of making of making a cartoon that is family friendly, can make a kid laugh, can make an adult laugh, and can make an adult question true philosophy in depth 
And that's all done through one cartoon where they'll pose questions about capitalism through Mr. Krabs and questions about sexuality through the relationship that um, SpongeBob has with Patrick and parenting and questions about uh, society as a whole and normality and what's except what where does the line of adult begin and the line of adult end and all these really deep things. And it's all shown through things that, like, a kid would never even suspect such a thing is happening. It's just a stupid joke to them. You know what's really weird is I've never made that connection before. I've always made the connection between It's Sunny in Philadelphia and Seinfeld, but never SpongeBob. Yeah, no, SpongeBob is quite profound. I truly believe that to be the only show that successfully executes better than Rick and Morty, South Park, Futurama, and Family Guy. Because they can successfully aim it at a child. And it's appropriate and successfully aim it at an adult and it's also appropriate yeah, that's actually a really good point right there i mean like you you know going in you're not going to let a little child watch south park but how what better way to make yourself stick out than to be entertaining for both kids and adults you know most shows just try to push in that secret little innuendo here and there for the parents but how many actually try to make the parent think along with their child but in different ways yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. That's where SpongeBob shines the most. If you, I don't know if you ever saw the episode where they were uh, SpongeBob and Patrick are raising the clam. Yes, 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 yes. The pair. Um, I, I remember that one, and Patrick is going that whole work father life. SpongeBob's yes, the mom's the stay at home mom. Yes, and so that sh that particular episode is probably one of the deepest in which it questions not only the sexuality of individuals because there's layers to this because there's the idea of a straight couple of parents that's just normal but showing the father's stress from work and the mother's stress at home and then having to deal with the husband coming stressed home and then the arguments that happen there all while trying to stay positive around the child and how that is reality a hundred percent and then throw on the deeper layer of it being two males yes like, and no one questioned that at the time and that was before like you really started seeing this in the world like I don't remember that really questioning it. I was just accepted it as what it was. It, it was them raising a child, but a parent may see it in a different way. That's two gay characters raising a child or, you know, someone in a DV situation may see it as that's someone who is not a healthy relationship. Yes. And, and sort of really addressing uh, how a father, even when he tries his best, might still be emotionally detached. Or a mother, even when she tries her best, might reject the father's attempts because she doesn't see them good enough. Or how a child might see this from their innocent eyes and twist it and turn it because the, uh, that's where we, the viewer as the child or the adult come in and just see the funny or the serious happening. And it's the same story we're looking at, but a kid might see it and be confused and like, why are they arguing? Why are they fighting? What is the, the meaning behind this? And you can really think to that degree and be like, wow, this should, this is probably very confusing from the perspective of the child in that household, because how are they coping with seeing mom and dad argue? And it seems to be about me, the kid. And the same thing then comes from an adult perspective where you're like, I understand the stress that's happening because I'm living that same stress myself. I'm experiencing the difficulties of trying to raise a home, raise a child, take care of my husband. And my husband is trying to balance me stress from being at home, from being trapped inside, from taking care of the kid while he's out there doing the hard work and eating shit from his boss. 
And so all these things in a single episode, this is a single fucking episode we're talking about. Yeah. And which, again, now we can go full circle again, which is I love conversations like that where you can always tie it back to like a, a main theme. But that's the perception of reality. Whose reality is right, whose reality is wrong. To each one, maybe they're doing the best that they can and they think their way is right. And the other person's not seeing it that way. It, it's all perception based. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that show was packed with that kind of argument of who's right and who's wrong. Another perfect example, if you think of uh, the Mr. Krabs problem, where he seems to be a greedy guy, but he also doesn't want his business to fail. And he's willing to keep his dream alive at all costs. But we call him greedy and we see him greedy. But ultimately, when we look at his office and we see how he talks about it, right, he loves the formula. He loves the his store. He doesn't want that restaurant to go down. He might be harsh on his workers, but he loves his workers. And we always see it as him being greedy, as him being, look at it right here, a penny pincher. He doesn't want to share. But what does he do with all the money? He doesn't show up in a fancy car. He dresses like crap. He lives in a shitty house. But why? Because no matter what, he just doesn't want his dream to die. But then whose reality is right? He is being greedy with the money. But it's for his business. Is it his point of view that's right because we should eat it because he wants his business to survive? Or should he treat people better and potentially lose out and maybe even lose his business as a result of something like that? Exactly. And I mean, and, and think of how true that is to the world today. Like you have small mom and pop stores and the employees may see them as being stringent and strict or not paying enough, but really the mom and pop store is trying to stay enough alive so that they have their business that they built up and that they can still pay their employees. Like, like it, it's all, it really does come down to perception. Like who, who really is right? Who is wrong? We, I don't think there's ever going to be a clear answer to that because everyone's perspective is going to be completely different. Yeah, and with 7.5 billion of us, we're talking about 7.5 billion perspectives. Yeah, and and I, I guess that's why I try not to live my life based on what others want of me. Like I used to do that, and I was so unhappy trying to please everybody. You you can't do that. You kind of have to live your life and not and do what's good for you, but at the same time, not just don't cause harm on other people. Like yeah, I think that's the golden you. rule. Just do you. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the golden rule. Don't ever cause, cause harm to other people. Make your way however you can, but don't knock any. It's not about me over you. It's about me, and if you make it too, then great. If you don't, that has nothing to do with me. Yeah, I, I never want to see somebody else fail, even if I don't like them. I want to see everyone succeed in their, their best way. Again, there are small caveats, like if your success is killing somebody, I don't really want to see that. But if your success is taking your dream and it's counterintuitive to mine, by all means, chase your dreams. Just do it. Be you. Be happy. See, this brings up a really complicated moral problem because we have to then question where the your truth lies, right? What if the realist version of you is essentially a killer? What if that's the only thing that makes you happy? Your job is then to sacrifice your happiness for the happiness of everybody else. I mean, that is true. And I've I've had this conversation a lot. And a lot of times I've had this conversation in my head where I find myself being like, I want you to be happy doing exactly what you want to do, except for X, Y, and Z. Well, why did I say except for X, Y, and Z? Why don't they deserve to be happy? Is it because it stops someone else's happiness? 
I don't know where that line lies. And, and I guess there's always that it's sunny in Philadelphia episode again as we keep going full circle where they open their bar to the freedom of everything, like anything goes in that bar. And they start realizing that they have to start drawing the line somewhere or else not everyone, you know, they're going to start losing what they wanted. That's so, so deep. That is so crazy. You're totally right. And that episode is particularly amazing because of that. There is the, I don't even remember what the name of that episode was, but I remember exactly what you're talking about, that they were like, we are too strict as it is. People will have more people showing up in the bar if the bar just has no rules. But and, then you have Frank bringing in, you know, the Koreans doing the 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 Russian roulette or the chopping off the fingers in the poker match and the chain smoking. And then you have the uh, McBoyles come in and they're drinking milk and creeping everyone out. Like, where do you draw the line? Like at, at some point, those freedoms kind of start overpowering. And now you don't have what you thought you were going to have. You yeah. have something completely different. So now you got to sacrifice some of what you love so that somebody else can have some of what you love. Because they let everybody else have total freedom and be happy, but that made them miserable in return. Exactly. And that's a weird balance because it, it's, it goes to say, don't do, like counterintuitively, don't do what you love in order to make someone else happy. You have to avoid doing what you love so that others can be happy. But this applies to everybody unanimously. So everybody should avoid doing what they love so that everybody else could be happy. So nobody's doing anything they love. Thus, nobody is happy because they stopped doing what they love for somebody else's happiness and everybody else is doing the same thing. I mean, I, I kind of liken it more to a relationship. While, while that point is true and it makes a lot of sense, I, I think really what it comes down to is compromise too. It's you got to allow some things for you, but then some things for other people. There's got to be some kind of balance and compromise in there. Whether that's correct or not, I don't know. I, I don't it, – it's hard to like – we're taking a whole philosophy and trying to narrow it down to – for 7 million billions of people out there in the world. It, it, are we ever going to know the right answer to that? I doubt it. That's really where the, the problem with philosophy is that it isn't science. Like, yes, science is philosophy, but philosophy isn't science. And there's no, we can't test it. We can't prove it. We can't come to a, a logical conclusion that we can show in numbers and uh, everybody point at it and agree because it is left to the perception of the individual. Well, it's a, it's a lot like economics in that way. Economics states that you would drive 20 minutes out of your way to save $5 because $5 is $5. But that doesn't make sense. People don't do that. People will drive closer. So they created something called behavioral economics, which has about a 99% accuracy with any other mathematics. And it tries to intervene economics with philosophy and, and human behavior. It tries to understand why our world works the way it works. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of backwards when you think about it. You're going to drive those 20 miles, waste the $5 of gas to get the $5 off anyways. So even if you did follow the logic of driving the 20 miles instead of going close, you wasted the $5 that you're about to put back in. Exactly. And that's what behavioral economics is is kind of trying to show. It factors in the time. It actually factors in what – tries to factor in what people want compared to what we think people would do. Yeah. Oh, I get it. So it's like both the results are equal no matter what, but which route are you going to take and why? Exactly. And I mean, it's not perfect. It's really in the economic world too. A lot of people don't really acknowledge this 
whole thing. It actually was probably one of my favorite things when I was taking economics in college. But it it, it just like because there are equations where you can assign. Say you're looking at a new car. You want a new car, but you don't know what car you want. Well, what's important to you? Well, it has to have a radio. So we're going to give that the number one. It has to be blue, but the color is not so important. So that's going to be number two. And it does all this math. So each color would be a number. And then you could figure out using math which one would best benefit you. Interesting. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think we run these calculations in our mind within the fraction of a second without even knowing that it's happening and then just make a choice that we call instinctive. But it's not. It's really just our subconscious running a million different algorithms and putting the results together to equal the thing that we were like, oh, that one seems interesting, but there were like a million right next to it that were similar, but not that. Right. And and I think that's what behavioral economics was trying to, to figure out. And it's not perfect because humans aren't perfect. There's always going to be that weird factor in there that we see out of left field. For sure. For sure. There's There's always random, unpredictable sort of factors that come into play for everything like sports you on paper team like the patriots should win all the time but one weekend they lose why on paper their team outweighed the other team completely yeah but then you got to take in sort of the state of mind that they're in what personal things they're going through what uh possible differences simply on the floor were slightly more awkward for one person than they are to the other and that could just change a million different unpredictable things that just tilted it just enough so they couldn't win yeah like you could have your dream team but they don't work well together because they're all spoiled and want to be the star attention it's gonna fail oh that was a kobe problem right there yep (laughs) i mean i guess the same could be said for supergroups too like everyone wants to be the center of attention so that's why most supergroups don't really go far in music it's because there's ego in there too that is a whole other clusterfuck of problems. Ego is a goddamn nightmare. I love I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm like egotistical about myself because it just it helps. Not always in like a way where I think I'm better than everyone, but I like if someone compliments me, I'll just own it and accept it completely because you know what? Sometimes you have to. You you have to be accepting of other people's compliments of you. Well, here's the thing. You can't ever get rid of ego. You essentially have to accept that it is part of you no matter what the case might be. Trying to suppress ego, that bullshit we do as humans where we we sort of uh, look down on ego is kind of wrong because we it's inherent in us. There's We can't escape our ego. Let's go full circle again. How did Eminem get successful? He chased his ego. He just gave them each a different personality. Yeah, 100%. And he felt he deserved it through the hard work, and then he earned it. It's the idea behind, uh, I know people hate Trump, and you know what? He's a fucking maniac. Let's be real. But also, he believes he deserves it, and then he got it. And who cares how he got it? He believed he deserved it enough to actually land himself in that office. You know that? So maybe that wish it, want it, achieve it. It's actually real. Maybe if you want something so bad, it's not really that it magically happens, but you want it so bad that you work towards it and won't stop at anything to make it happen. Exactly. That's the embodiment of this man. He won't stop at anything to get what he wants. And that's why he continues to win. And it sucks for a lot of people and a lot of people suffer. But you got to want what you want more than he wants what he wants in order to make the correction you allegedly want. Because you clearly want it, just not enough to work at it as hard as he works to get what he wants. Oh, yeah. And again, it goes back to your 15 minutes of fame. Everyone wants to be successful. Everyone wants to be famous. 
everyone wants millions and millions of dollars, but nobody wants to work for it the way like, you know, sure, they may have taken advantage of people, but Bezos and Gates and all these people wanted it so bad that they worked for it. They worked their whole life for it. Yeah, 100%. And that is the like, you're totally right. That's that is the issue. Everybody, nobody wants to build the brick wall. Everybody buys the bricks and throws them together and says, look, a pile of bricks. But no, that other person carefully laid the bricks and built a wall. You threw a bunch of bricks together and called it a wall. And sure, there's exceptions to those rules. Like, I'm pretty sure there are people that literally try and it's just everything is stacked against them. Like, however you look at it, there's always going to be those outliers. But I think for the most part, when most people complain about it, it's because they didn't think about it. They didn't do it themselves and they don't have the drive to do it themselves. So therefore, why should they have it when I can't? I actually think that I, I disagree with that. I think that there are there are no there is no person who tries infinitely hard and doesn't get there. I think they think they're trying infinitely hard. But I don't think they're objectively doing everything they can the way some other people are objectively doing everything they can, no matter what the case might be. Let's say somebody wants to succeed at what they're doing and they keep doing it and try and try and try over and over and over and over and over and nothing ever works out. But you were unwilling to dive into doing things that you consider bad and negative. Okay, now you didn't really do all you can. You did all you could without being bad. I guess maybe in that case, maybe what you wanted wasn't exactly what you thought you wanted. In the end, you got something different because that's really deep down what you wanted. You're just not happy with it because it's not what you thought it was. Yeah, definitely. I think anybody who wants something is going to get it if they want it. Oh, fair enough. They're going to get it to the degree that they want it. That Yeah, I, I can agree with you on that one. You You get whatever you want to the degree that you're willing to work towards it. Yeah, 100%. If you want that crazy, absurd fame, but you're not willing to work for that crazy, absurd fame, you're not going to. If you pumped out one amazing thing and you're like, this should work, then that one thing will go viral. And then it'll disappear into the background the same way you worked for it. Exactly. Like, I always wanted to play guitar and i do now um you know i've had a couple bands nothing major i'm a rhythm guitarist hands down but what if i actually really wanted it when i was younger and instead of spending all that time pretending to be a rock star and rock band or guitar hero took that energy and put it towards playing guitar maybe i would be i would definitely be so much better than i am now a hundred percent that 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 right there what you're talking about is the reality of it where is the true work some people think about Let's keep going full circles over and over. Back to Eminem. Dude drops out of high school, ninth grade. That's it. That's as far as he gets. He's like, I'm not doing this. Starts writing raps, getting a shitty job on the side because this is going to work no matter what I do. Goes to clubs to battle rap. Gets shit on a million times over and over and over and over and over. But does he stop? Does that discourage him? No, he wants it so fucking bad. He just keeps working at it. Puts out an album. The album doesn't blow up. Infinite. It it did what it did, and he just it didn't stop him. He's like, I'm gonna do the next one, but he stuck to it so hard to buy the next one. That Infinite album landed on Dr. Dre's desk. Dr. Dre listens to the album because he kept going. It seems like random chance. Like, yeah, he had a lot of work and a little bit of luck, but no, it was all work because he kept working enough to saturate the market with his work to the point that eventually it landed in the eyes in front of somebody who needed to see it. That wasn't luck. He just kept doing it until the right person saw it. It was hard work. What is it? Luck is like opportunity meets pre uh, preparedness. 
Yes. He he was both of those. He was sure there was a part of it that's right moment, right time, but he was ready for that moment. Exactly. He had what needed to be because anybody else could you could get the luck and land yourself right in front of the person who needed to hear it and not have the product. I mean, isn't that basically what one shot was about? He had his one shot and he was ready for it. So he took it. Yeah, 100%. That's that's all it is. You never know when that moment comes. You got to capture that moment and don't squander it. See, that guy is a genius, man. (laughs) He really is. He really is. I, I really, truly believe he is the Shakespeare of our current day. Like Shakespeare to this day blows everybody's mind the way he could rhyme entire work straight through and have a single theme threaded through every single line. And the only person who comes close to something like that is Eminem. And when Eminem dies, whenever that happens many years from now, for centuries, his music will be unpacked layers atop of layers on top of layers. To this day, I'll listen to an Eminem song that's old as fuck and I've heard a million times, but I hear it at a different part of my life, at a different age, at a different level of preparedness, and I hear a different thing that I never caught was happening. Could you imagine like a college class on just Eminem? His his history, his words, his albums, and all of that, just in the way we do Shakespeare. I truly believe that's going to happen in the future. I really- I mean, why not? We have Harry Potter now. That's disappointing on many different levels. I mean, there are classes, though, that discuss Harry Potter. Why? Is it for the sake of world building? Is it the writing of Harry Potter? I mean, I've never done it myself. Like, I've never taken these classes myself. I just know they exist. And I think part of it is the world world building. It's it's kind of maybe like a writing type class. I don't know. But I just know that there are college classes that teach Harry Potter. And it's all based around Harry Potter. That's freaking weird, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I never really, I never really understood the love for Harry Potter. Like, I liked it up until about book four, and then I just kind of was over it. I could not make it past book one. I did not have the patience. I, I, I'm also not like a fantasy type of guy. Like, I'm not really into that. I'm way into sci-fi, but not really into fantasy. It's weird how there are so many similarities in the two, and yet they are so completely different. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I don't know why. Like, I really can't get into... Like, I don't like Skyrim, but I love Fallout. I I do like both, but Fallout is my go-to. I mean, after all, I have the Brotherhood of Steel tattooed on my leg. Whoa, that's fire, dude. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that was my first tattoo, too. In Steel We Trust. Yeah. Uh, look, I am such a Brotherhood of Steel guy that in Fallout 4, I didn't even bother doing the missions for the Railroad or the Institute. I just flat out sided with the Brotherhood the second they showed up and massacred everybody. I think that was one of the last games I spent way too much time in and ended up like 100%ing it. But yeah, I think even when I played through, I sided with the Brotherhood. The only person I really didn't like siding with was the Institute the whole time. Here's the thing. This is my problem. This is a really good uh, uh, game for philosophy because it brings up the question of who's really the bad guy. Is it the Institute? Because all their goals, although they seem malicious, or not seem malicious, but they take life because they believe by any means necessary, we're going to get the information to protect humanity. That's truly what they believe, and they have the means to do it. But they need the information, and that's sort of their goal. And then we have the Brotherhood, who is approaching the same thing, but is willing to kill 
innocent people for the technology that needs to be preserved because the future rests in the technology of the past. And then that same problem comes up with the uh, the Minutemen who are out to protect the people regardless of what uh, information might be needed, what the future could look like, what technology might exist. They are for the people, by the people. And then there is the railroad that believe that it's not just the people, but even the technology itself should be preserved. And it is sentient technology and it deserves its rights like anything else. Who's the bad guy in that story? I, I don't think if you really take it apart, any of them are actually the bad guy. They're all right in their own way so in the end it becomes down to who's actually right and it's whoever you side with and help win this war between them all like that's how you decide who's right in that game and that's kind of how we decide who's right and wrong most of the time in the real world too so yet again to the victory goes the history yes that is the i guess that's catholicism bottled up <laughs> you, you're the winner of the war so you write the history because you decide what makes it through and what doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is definitely how that works out. And it's it creates a big problem, which is another giant philosophical conundrum of whether history is even true or if it's all warped. And like, really, really, it's all warped, but it all has a shred of truth in it. I mean, it's, it's true. Um, you can't just randomly make up a fact and not have some way to kind of slightly back it up. Now, how true those facts are, we don't really know, but they all stem from something. Yeah. Think of, okay, World War II, right? United States goes, enters dead end of the war, and the people who were already there beating the people in the war, you know, they, they go through their whole thing, and they win the war. The war gets won. But there was many, 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 many exaggerated numbers of factions fighting that war before the U.S. joins. But then the U.S. joins and they win. So the U.S. tells its people, we got there and ended the war. Which is not wrong, but it leaves not. out the fact that they were fresh blood into an already drained war. Exactly. That war was already closing. So it's not a lie that they arrived and the war ended. But the war didn't end because they arrived. But they don't tell you that part. The war was going to end no matter what. You destroyed the outposts. You already outed the bad guys. You were already turning on the Nazis. You were getting the Germans themselves to start turning on this corrupt movement that was happening before the U.S. walked in and then the war was already going to end regardless of their involvement. But they, it's not a lie that the U.S. showed up and the war ended. That is not a lie. That is exactly what happened. But you're leaving out so many details. Now, fair enough, the rest of the world teaches the story the right, most accurate way, which is they came in and helped at the very end, but we were already essentially finishing. They reduced the amount of life we would have lost to win. That's all that happened. But the U.S. got to tell its own people its story. And we showed up, and the war ended, thus we are heroes. It's like in a race, it doesn't matter how far ahead you won, you won in the end. So sure, so-and-so was winning that whole time, but we don't tell that part. We only tell the part that they lost in the end. Exactly. You are speaking that woke, fast, and furious truth of it doesn't matter whether you won by an inch or you won by a mile. All it's okay. I love those movies. Want. I don't care what anyone says about them. I want fast cars and explosions and they deliver. Yeah, dude. 
fuck it. You connect some chains to a goddamn giant safe and you drag it, even if the physics don't work. Whatever. Who cares? It's a movie. It's supposed to be exaggerated. And then you drive it across the city and then you take it. You somehow make a swap with a fake other giant safe that you somehow acquired. Whatever, dude. We're not asking questions. It is what no, it is. You deliver exactly what you promise. Yes. Look at this. This is beautiful. Yes, jump off of a tank onto a fucking car. Why not? In a highway with a supercar that's being kept up by a tank. Why not? Who cares? Why does it need to make sense? I don't think it does. And I think that's another problem that we have with movies these days. We want all these movies to make sense, but why? Why do they have to? Why can't you just enjoy them for what they are? Yeah, exactly. Why can't it? Here's it's the, that comparison thing. We and not just the comparison. We have this problem with the, where we want hyper realism. Yeah, and, and but the thing is, I, I mean, I'm always the oddball. I really don't. I sure sometimes I question why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. But if that didn't make sense, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have the movie. Like most movies happen because they do something that goes against what we would normally do. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think, look, if I wanted to see reality, I feel like I would just walk outside. Yeah, I, I want that escapism. You know, that that's why I watch, you know, I watch Ghost Adventurers. I don't care. Um, I think it's stupid. I think it's ridiculous. And I love it for that reason, because it allows me to escape for that one hour from everything else in the world that's going on. Now, that's the guy, that's the one with that buff guy who screams at everything, right? Yeah, Zach Baggins. <laughs> oh, man, that show's terrible. But I can understand why it's fun. It's, it's Jersey Shore. Exactly. I mean, I, I sometimes want to watch that train wreck. I, I don't know why. I think we all do. We all rubberneck on accidents on the highway. We have this weird fascination with seeing train wrecks. Yeah, 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 for real. But see, when it comes to shows like this, I always, I, I never got into this show. And I guess I'm guilty of the hyper realism when it comes to the supernatural, because I'm a ghost hunters kind of guy, where these plumbers, uh, engineers, and construction workers are the ghost hunters who go in, not trying to prove the ghost, but trying to disprove the ghost in hopes of stumbling upon something they can't disprove. I do like that too, and I think they encapsulate more of what real, real ghost hunting is in that sense. But at the same time, look which one's still on the air. Exactly, it is the not the one that's aiming to disprove it, but the one that's not even bothering to do anything but explore. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta puff up the viewership. You, you gotta have someone with personality behind the camera because personality is what sells exciting things happening is what sells yeah and always like debunking every household the the entire run of ghost hunters they had two things they could not prove which was one if you i don't know if you ever saw it, the uh the prison shadow that was running towards the camera i remember that one yes and then the white noise they caught in an old lady's house they tried to move the doors they tried to see if there was a leak they tried to see if there was a creak on the floorboards or some shit and they could not find it, it was a house next to a lighthouse that one I might remember too, but I wasn't as into Ghost Hunters, I think, or at least not as much as I am now. So it's probably been a while since I watched them. Yeah, I think they are definitely the superior show in the aspect of science. They're scientists because of their, prof their respective professions. But I can see how 
Ghost Adventures is the exciting thing because you're you're sort of not trying to burst anybody's bubble. You're just like, hey, we're all scared together. Exactly. And, you know, even Ghost Hunters have probably had some puff pieces in there, but for the sense of actually going to debunk it after the fact, like they probably made certain things happen too because yeah. you have to for TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually listening to uh, Joe Rogan recently and he was talking about his uh, show of Joe Rogan uh, questions everything and how he was with Duncan Trussell trying to essentially looking at proof of Bigfoot and stuff, but they just could not believe it. And it was like the directors of the show were getting angry at the fact that they could not, that they didn't want to believe the Bigfoot stories because they needed Joe Rogan not to be honest, but rather to behave like he's blown away and he's curious and he thinks it's all true. Well, and that, that talks about the whole perception of reality and what we're talking about before, because he believes that those people saw what they think to be as Bigfoot. He just doesn't believe that it's Bigfoot. Yes, exactly. He believes they believe what they saw, but he doesn't believe what they saw is what they think they saw. I mean, it's probably just a bear on DMT at that point. Fair enough. Can you imagine? But then I love the argument that the possibility that we got here because of experimenting with DMT and psilocybin and we were just monkeys to begin with. We took some woke uh, medication and got so woke that now we're language-speaking apes who build technology and explore space. I mean, that makes sense. Or we're all just a game of Sims. I mean, who really knows? And I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that either. What What started the evolution process? Was it really taking DMT and realizing that there's more to this world than we actually know, or was it we just needed to survive, so we slowly just worked our way up the chain? That's very fascinating, isn't it? it, it like, we can trace some things for sure, right? So we can definitely, like, what uh, that, that shrooms thing, that's actually real. We can trace the fact that the monkeys lived in an area where there were uh, natural psilocybin growing, and they consumed the food around it, so it's not a question, it's, it's, wouldn't be a stretch to say they might have accidentally ingested it or out of curiosity, as well as the uh, creation of fire leading to the experimentation with food over fire and eating that cooked food gave us a, a giant nutrient boost that then allowed our brain capacity to evolve with the use of that food, which gave way more energy and ridiculous doses. Cooked food gives energy a hundred times more than non-cooked food. And so we can trace that far, but we, we still have to think about the factors that led to the moments in which those things happened. Where did the and fire the trial come from? and error and all that as yes, well. Yes, exactly. How did these moments come to be in the first place? It is infinite rolls of the dice over and 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 over. Or there was something moving us in that direction. And then that brings in things like the possibility that aliens came and interacted with us. And okay, now look, monkey man, eat this thing. Or here, this is how you can make your food. We don't know how the fuck the first fire came to be. We can't trace fire to the first lightning. Like, how the hell would we even know? We would never know. And we didn't even really have writing down of history then. So really, it was an oral tradition if that's really what it was at all. Exactly. So so there's an infinite number of questions that could never be answered. And like all things, it seems to be the uh, 
The theme of this episode is the unknown. There's many things we don't know, but we need answers anyways, so we'll roll with whatever we have for the time being. It's all we can until we know what's coming forward, until we have a better understanding of it. Yeah, it's... Life is weird, man. We are just kind of winging it all the time, but it is what it is, right? We are a weird sentient being of skeleton and muscle being controlled by a brain on a rock flying through space. Yep. Yep, that summarizes it. That's about right. And we don't even really know what the space is at that point or what the space is in at that point. (sighs) One day, one day, maybe I'll know, but... Again, like I said before, I'm not looking for the answers. I'm not looking for the understanding. I'm just kind of looking to enjoy the ride while it goes. That's the way to be, man. If you, if you try to answer everything, then you'll look for answers without ever enjoying the questions. And I think life isn't about the answers. Life is about the questions. I don't think it's about the destination. It's about the way there. It's the journey. Exactly. 100% it's the journey. Because when you get to the end, you're not happy anymore because now what are you working towards? Exactly. Life isn't about happiness. It's about purpose. It really is, man. And without a journey, without a destination to go try to reach, do we really have a purpose? Yeah, exactly. I guess life is about making purpose. You got to find what your purpose is and then do that forever or until you find a new purpose. Exactly. I I always evolve. If I do end up reaching my goals, it changes. I change my goals. Yeah. It sucks that more people can't do that. That that is frustrating to me. The fact that more people can't just reach their goal and decide, I got here, now I'm going to do something else. No, they're like, well, I guess I'm done. It's like, why be lazy just because you got there? Pick up something different. Keep it moving. That's what, yeah. I mean, that's why I dabble in a lot of different things that I enjoy. I'm not looking to master any of them. I just want to do them because I enjoy them. That's the way to be, man. Anyways, we're running out of time here, dude. This has been astounding. Uh, definitely love this conversation. I didn't think we were going to end up talking about such a profound idea of the unknown, but we definitely jumped into a couple of hoops there. Let everybody know where they can find you. And all your goodies everywhere, uh, everything you've got going on, just, you know, this is your moment. All right, man. Well, Obscure Anomalies, you can find wherever you listen to any of your podcasts. Uh, We cover the strange, the weird, the obscure. Uh, Everyone's personal favorite seems to be the ghost cows. Uh, I could be found on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Obscure Anomalies. Or if you want to find my production company, it's Straight Up Strange Productions. And that, too, could be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right. Perfect, man. This was really fun, dude. I really, really enjoyed this. I did not at any moment expect that we would be going into such depth uh, relative to the unknown. Yeah, I had no idea where we were going to go at any point during this. It just definitely was not where I expect. I expected ghosts, cryptids, paranormal, not really the fabric of reality and God. Yeah. Yeah, the fabric of reality, God, and weather, <laughs> and the philosophic constant of history and whether that's even a thing. It's all the reality that we make it. Yeah, perspectivism. That's what, that's, that's what this episode was all about, perspectivism. It was a pleasure talking with you. I actually had a lot of fun on doing this. I mean, I already expected to, but a lot more fun than I was expecting because, again, I got to talk about music and everything else along the way. Yeah, man. That's that's why I love doing this. It's I, I hate interview structure where we're just going to interrupt things to meet a checklist. I like to be surprised. 
and it it always is and this was definitely a surprise the and last it, it place it feels I thought, natural it's like a natural evolution of a conversation yes that's really what it is that we're just getting where it's going i'm not guiding it you're not guiding it we're just getting somewhere it's uh, about the ride not the destination it, it's very refreshing i should say yeah it's a, how often do you get to have a two-hour conversation with somebody that's just natural not very often anymore it seems yeah, especially with you're always having to worry about what you're going to say and how people are going to take it. Yes, it always goes into something. It always becomes a debate to some degree. People can't disagree. People can't have different opinions, and everything has to be political lately. That's frustrating. I mean, I have some of my best friends. We don't agree. We don't see eye to eye on everything, but they're still my best friends either way. It's because we could see our differences and actually just discuss and. Just enjoy having those conversations too. Yeah, that's uh, we need more of that, man. We need more of you in the world. People who can just tolerate a conversation and really enjoy the company of another while talking. That's really all that matters. If we had more of that, this world would be a better place rather than and, wherever the hell we are right now. And don't get me wrong. There are times where conversations make me angry and heated, but then I like to sit back and wonder why did they make me angry and heated to begin with? Yes. What? Because you, you always got to think about nobody can make you feel a certain way. Something about what they said was already bothering you had anybody else said it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the only way that we can learn to grow is to understand why we were angry about it in the first place. Definitely, definitely. Anyways, man, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad I could get you on. This was really great. Thank you again. We'll have to do it again sometime. See you, man. Bye. Well, that was awesome. That was... That discussion definitely went a couple of places I did not expect it to go. Yes. I love the Fast and the Furious. Ah, those movies are so good. Yeah, they are. Those movies are completely astounding. They're ridiculous, but they are awesome. And sort of the absurdism of them is the reason that they're awesome. It's basically a superhero movie. Yeah, it is. Without the superhero-ness of them. They're more serious than a superhero movie. Yeah. But uh, it was definitely awesome talking to Chris Rustek. He was very interesting. I expected this conversation to go a bunch of places that it didn't go, and then I didn't expect it to go anywhere that it did. I, I thought ghosts and demons and all these good things, and we ended up in better things in philosophy and metaphysics and the fabric of reality and perspectivism and all that good stuff. You thought you were going to be in his type of show, but he ended up being a part of your type of show yeah pretty much we ended up uh hanging out in my ballpark mm -hmm. but i definitely like that in people when somebody has the capacity to really just sit down critically think and have some really deep profound conversations about something so that was definitely exciting it was uh beyond the expectations i had it went somewhere that i was not thinking it would ever go that was really good that was so good. Yeah, I completely like that. And uh, a lot of the topics we brushed are, are definitely true, including the, the fact that history is uh, something that we have no control over. Only the winners write that out. And they have essentially the first step in controlling perspective. So our history could be fabricated because of how many times it gets rewritten and washed over and rewritten and washed over and rewritten and washed over over and over and over and over and over and over. And we do that to ourselves because we're the winner in our mind. Yeah. Yeah. We do that for everything. As long as 
we are the ones in control. We're going to write history according to our perspective. Mm-hmm. So basically, history is just written through the perspective of the winners, not the collective objective truth. Is it even possible to do that? I don't know. But yeah, so uh, history is definitely written by the winners. And as a result, we don't really know what's real. Like, nothing really is real. The history was lost the moment the moment happened. Yes. Yeah, history was lost the moment the moment happened. Now it's something else entirely. It's morphed. It's changed. And it'll continue to do that. It's impossible to tell what the past is. Even recording history, it's going to get warped because it's being written and recorded through somebody's already subjective experience. Yeah. Everything is always changing. Science, what's good in art, what's popular, yeah, etc. <laughs> yeah, and actually, we touched on that in this episode as well, where we in this conversation we touched on that in this conversation as well, where we were discussing essentially the overpolish of work and the sort of repetitive nature of some music, where there really is like a normality everybody's striving for. In both, um, in both music and in, well, in all types of art. All types of art, yes. Everything has that sort of boring normality that exists. And it's all because of a subjective perception of what is right and what is wrong. And so we try to fit into the, the box formed by the collective mind rather than spin out and look at other things. We're just chasing things. On the flip side, we're always comparing things, and that's another problem. We're comparing one thing to another rather than letting something stand on its own and question objectively what we think is happening. Is it good? Is it good yeah. regardless of anything else that's happening relative to it? And we need to do that more. That, that, that never happens. We have to do what more? We have to try to be objective about art and let it stand oh. on its own. Question it on its own, not compare it to other art. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, Relapse is Eminem's weakest album. Also, is it a bad album? No. No. It's only weak compared to the other albums. But what does that mean? That means he did a great job, a fantastic job. He outsold everybody with that album. That's his worst album. So it's a great album. It's an amazing album. Mm -hmm. But also, people are comparing it to, like, Marshall Mathers LP. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. Critics are harsh. Yeah, but so are fans. Fans are definitely... Yeah. Anyways, that conversation was definitely fantastic. If you guys enjoyed hearing Chris Rustic, you could find the Obscure Anomalies podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Obscure Anomalies and on Twitter at O Anomalies, as well as listen to the show on StraightUpStrange.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other locations where you get your podcasts. As for us, you can find our show on the official website, GreyThoughts.info, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at JustConvoPod. Yes, and remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And let someone who might like the show know about it. Yes. Word of mouth is very important. Make sure you tell anyone and everyone about it, and anyone who's interested might come and listen. This has been the Just Conversation Podcast. Take nothing personal, and thanks for listening. Bye! Bye.
Yeah. No, no. Not only that, I would argue that in the trailer where we see a fucking train flip over because something was capable of stopping it solid. And not like flip over, tilt sideways. Flip no. over fucking vertically. Yep. It yep. lifted up in a complete, like a building vertically and then kept tilting forward. That reminds me of the first Avengers movie where they're fighting the giant whale things and then Hulk punches a single one. Boom. Ooh, that, yeah. That's just, I'm remembering that. It feels like that moment happened. It did. It did happen. This is the Avengers movie. It totally is. It's just, and now we know that after this happens, they're going to go coup John Cena because the power of friendship and he's going to join the crew. The characters that get involved in this are so crazy. He's the evil, the, like what the evil brother of yes because look there was already this is by the way people this isn't related we're just unpacking this real quick but the already evil brother of john of not john cena there was all so we had hopper and then he joined and then he didn't have anybody related to him, but he came, he had the typical bad guy thing where he's like, I'm the cop, I'm here to stop you. Your friendship makes me a criminal now. In a two-movie arc, he went from the good guy trying to stop them to the bad guy part of them. Yes. Okay. Then we get this other bad guy. We stop him, his brother, his so the evil guy's more eviler brother shows yes. up. Yeah. To then get revenge, because revenge stories. It's our revenge stories. Then they go coup him, and he joins the crew yeah. and becomes best friend with Hops, which I haven't seen in the trailer, which maybe because they're doing their own adventure. Now they're oh, best yeah. buddies. He's with, um... Oh, yeah. He's there to together. Yeah, yeah they're on yeah, their own yeah, adventures, okay. but he joins pr- uh, temporarily for part eight or some shit. I don't even fucking. There's like 50 of these movies. The Just Conversation podcast is hosted by Christina Colazzo and Jack Thomas, produced by Lynn Taylor and published by GreatThoughts.info, art by Zero Lupo, and logo by Seth McAllister, with social media managed by Amber Black.